Good afternoon and welcome to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors for today, Tuesday, January 30th, 2024. Madam Clerk, would you please call the roll? Thank you, Mr. President. Supervisor Chan. Present. Chan present. Supervisor Dorsey. Present. Dorsey present. Supervisor Engardio. Engardio present. present. Supervisor Mandelman. Present. Mandelman present. Supervisor Melgar. Melgar present. Supervisor Peskin. Present. Peskin present. Supervisor Preston. Preston present, Supervisor Ronan. Ronan present, Supervisor Safai. <coughs> Safai present, Supervisor Stephanie. Stephanie present, and Supervisor <coughs> Walton. Walton present. Mr. President, all members are present. Thank you, Madam Clerk. The San Francisco Board of Supervisors acknowledges we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatushaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatushaloni community, and by affirming their sovereign rights as first peoples. Colleagues, please join me in the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Madam Clerk, do we have any communications? Yes, Mr. President. The San Francisco Board of Supervisors welcomes all interested persons to attend this meeting here in the board's legislative chamber in City Hall, second floor, room 250, where you may watch the proceeding on SFGOVTV's channel 26 or view the live stream at www.sfgovtv.org. To submit your public comment in writing, send to the email address bos at sfgov.org or via U.S. Postal Service to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, the number one, Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, City Hall, Room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. And finally, to make a reasonable accommodation request under ADA or to request language assistance, please contact the clerk's office at least two business days in advance by calling 415-554-5184. Thank you, members. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Let's go to our 2 p.m. special order. Our 2 p.m. special order is that the Honorable Mayor, London N. Breed, is present in the chamber to engage in a policy discussion with eligible board members who timely submitted topics. The mayor may address the board initially for up to five minutes. Discussion shall not exceed two minutes per question or answer. Welcome, Madam Mayor. Your timing is perfect. Mayor Breed, do you have any opening remarks? Yes, I do. Thank you, President Peskin, and good afternoon, supervisors and members of the public. I'm happy to be here. Uh, exciting to kick off uh, Black History Month and Lunar New Year in San Francisco. With February just a couple of days away, we are really off to an exciting time in our city, a time for us to come together and to celebrate our African-American community and our API community and really our entire city. I know for 
each of us, it's a lot of fun, banquets and parades and celebrations. Sometimes it feels like it's impossible to make so many events, but it's why we love the city so much. We love to have a good time, and now more than ever with the last couple of years being so hard, I think this city and our residents truly deserve to have a good time. And I know all of us will be watching the Super Bowl in the next couple of weeks, so exciting times in San Francisco. But that doesn't mean we don't have work to do. And that work starts with making sure our neighborhoods feel clean and safe. And that doesn't just mean Chinatown for Lunar New Year uh, or the Fillmore and the Bayview for Black History Month. It means the mission too, where we have a lot of challenges. And I wanna acknowledge and thank Supervisor Hillary Ronan and her office for working with us on trying to address these issues, especially around unpermitted vending and all the challenges that have come with that situation. It's not easy because there are people who are out there trying to make a living, trying to follow the rules and trying to do what's right and get their permits. But because of the state law, the state laws that we have in place, it's been difficult to balance those who we want to support with those who are taking advantage of the situation and frankly cause chaos on our streets. That's why, along with Supervisor Ronan, we put in place a moratorium of street vending along Mission Street. This came as a response to community, to residents and small businesses, and to everyone who felt like things had gone too far. People want to support vendors, but also don't want to see the situation continue to deteriorate or get worse. We put the moratorium place back in place back in November on the Mission Street, on Mission Street in the early results show that it's working. We've seen a 30% decline in assaults and robberies in the area. Businesses are a lot happier with what they've seen in the BART Plaza and the streets, and 75% of those businesses want the moratorium to continue. We are also going to continue the work that we've done to support the permitted small vendors who are trying to make a living. We've offered them space to sell their goods, We've also offered job training and wraparound services and support to help them, but at the end of the day, this is about making our community safe and clean and supporting everyone who lives and works there. We need to change our state laws, and I'm working on that right now with mayors across California. I'm hoping to have the change happen, but it's going to take time because you think this Board of Supervisors process is something else? Boy, think about when you have to go to the state. But until that happens, uh, we are going to continue to do the work necessary to make the mission what we know it deserves. And again, uh, special appreciation and thanks goes to Supervisor Hillary Ronan for her partnership on these efforts. Thank you, Mayor Breed. Madam Clerk, could you please call the first and only topic for today? The first topic submitted by the member representing District 5, Supervisor Preston, is the single room occupancy SRO elevator repairs. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Supervisor Preston, please ask your opening question. Thank you, President Peskin, and good afternoon, Mayor Breed. Thank you for being here for question time. Uh, in June of 2022, we proposed, and your office and this board agreed on a historic $112 million uh, housing budget package, which included $10 million specifically for elevator repairs in SROs. 
Uh, these are critical funds to make sure that extremely vulnerable people who live in SROs, many of whom have mobility restrictions, can safely get to and from their homes. And for some, the lack of a working elevator means they're effectively trapped in their units. It's now been 580 days since the board and your office agreed to allocate these funds for elevator repairs. Throughout that time, my office has asked repeatedly for status updates on when we can expect your administration to get the funds out the door. In February 2023, it was publicly reported that elevator repair funds would be available, quote, later this month. In May 2023, in a hearing under questioning, your Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing told the Budget Committee they are drafting the NOFA Notice of Funding Availability, quote, right now and plan to issue it this summer. Then in August 2023, HSH staff asserted that they no longer were planning to issue the NOFA in the summer, but it would be completed by the end of the calendar year. Again, that deadline came and went. Now, after submitting the topic for uh, your appearance today, um, my office received an email from HSH staff stating that, quote, the NOFA is under final review and we anticipate releasing this uh, this month or early February prior to February 12th. And my hopes to get confirmation on that today from you. So I'll ask on behalf of the many, many constituents who contact my office with reports about unreliable, inoperable, and dangerous elevators in their SROs, will you commit to making sure the notice of funding availability for elevator repairs is published no later than February 12th? Thank you uh, for the question, Supervisor Preston. First off, let me say that, as I always say, when you uh, ans ask a question during question time, my, I'm available to meet, my staff is available, and we're here to work as a partner with you to address the issues that are not just important to you and your constituents, but they're also my constituents too, and are very important to me as well. Um, so I, no, you likely raised, you've, you've been raising these issues with the department, and that's good, but that doesn't mean, as I said, you can't come to me and we can talk about these things and, and get more aggressive to address these problems. Uh, because surprisingly today, I agree with you. We need to move faster, we need to work together, and we need to try and get these elevators fixed. The, what's interesting is right now we're having a major overhaul in service on an elevator at City Hall that took us a really long time to get the appropriate operator and parts and other things associated with getting it fixed. And I know firsthand, as a former director of a nonprofit arts organization, what we had to do when people constantly were getting trapped in an elevator to fix it, to change it, to make adjustments. I mean, that is pales in comparison to people who are in many of these buildings um, on 10 floors and, and so on and so forth and have the struggle of needing to walk up the stairs and not able to get their groceries up or even themselves because they're in a wheelchair. So I understand the urgency of this um, and I've made it clear when we received the request that it is important for us to move as aggressive as we can. Um, I mean, but we do, as you know, have policies and procedures with the city. If you want to work with my office to eliminate that so we can maybe focus on doing a sole source rather than a competitive bid because there are very limited amounts of people who can actually do this work. So it should be a lot easy, but sadly, you know, we have a process 
associated with doing this work sometimes, and not to mention the capacity to be able to manage this has been a bit challenging for us. Uh, but we're taking full responsibility and we're trying to move with haste to get it done. And if there are things that we can work on together to change some of our roles, policies, procedures in order to move things like this faster, I am all ears and open to the possibility of working together to do it. Thank you, Mayor Breed. Supervisor Preston, if you have a follow-up question directly related to your original one, the floor is yours. Thank you, uh, and thank you, Mayor Breed, for your, your uh, statement on that and commitment to trying to move um, these funds. And uh, you know, I do want to note for the record that we repeatedly engaged uh, with your staff over the last year and a half um, on this. Um, and, but I appreciate your comments about some of the, the amount of time it takes around doing elevators. Uh, and I will just say one of my first cases actually as a housing lawyer was uh, suing a slumlord in the Tenderloin uh, whose elevator had been out for nine months. And uh, we actually went to court on behalf of many tenants there, got a court injunction forcing them to make the repairs. But that process of filing, preparing and filing a multi-plaintiff lawsuit, going to court and getting injunction, getting repairs, took less time uh, than it has taken uh, since this board uh, and your office agreed to these funds. And I'm not aware of no barrier uh, to, to your department releasing the notice of funding availability. And I want to say, you know, we hear from folks all the time, um, and I think you understand the importance of this for folks we hear, in particular, uh, a gentleman named Mark, a wheelchair user who uses, lives in an SRO on Geary uh, since the Tenderloin was redistricted to District 5. Um, he's reached out regularly to let us know when his neighbors are stuck in the elevator, when the elevator's been shut down, when he's forced to use his cane to go down four flights of stairs, and he shares stories of his neighbors stuck uh, in their rooms. He sends us videos of fire department rescuing people in the building from the elevator. It's happened by his count more than 30 times uh, in, in just in this past year. Um, and I think there's a great deal of frustration uh, that the funds have been set aside, but more than a year and a half after, they're still not out the door. Um, so I do very much appreciate your, your um, statement and, and commitment to getting those funds out the door. But my follow-up question is, I just would love to pin down, given the history on this item, uh, that you can commit on the record uh, to doing what your uh, HSH leadership has indicated, which is making sure that a notice of funding availability for these SRO elevator repairs does, in fact, get out the door by February 12th. So thank you, Supervisor, for your follow-up question. And you know, just to be clear, I am not going to go on the record and, and make that commitment because you know this is the city. And I've seen us try to make those kinds of commitments to get something like this done. And I don't want to say, yes, I commit to that, and then it doesn't happen rather than the 15th. It happens the 16th. But I will tell you that I am definitely going to do everything I can because the conditions that you're talking about for your residents are actually conditions that I, I lived in, that I grew up in at 1133 Laguna Street on the fourth floor, apartment 2403, where our elevator never worked. The lights were never on. So I've, I've lived in these kind of conditions. So I don't take something like this lightly. I know what it feels like when you have to carry people up and down the stairs that can no otherwise, in, in, in any other circumstances, uh, get to their apartment, including a good friend of mine named Richard, who lives in the Tenderloin, who is definitely on my case about the challenges in the neighborhood 
around safety, as well as the inconsistency of a working elevator where he lives on Turk Street. So this is not foreign to me. I've lived in it. I understand it. And so many of these residents that you represent are people that I more than likely probably grew up with. So I am not going to uh, dismiss this and throw it under the rug and give you a whole bunch of bureaucratic talk. I have already given my department the instructions to move as quickly as possible to get this done as safely, as quickly as they can for the people that we know are struggling in the tenderloin. So thank you again. Thank, thank you, you, Mayor Breed. And you have the opportunity to ask a question to Supervisor Preston or any other supervisor for that matter. And if not, we will conclude question time. I do not have a question at this time. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Mayor. We will see you next month. And Madam Clerk, would you please call the consent agenda? Items 2 through 16, these items are on consent and they are considered to be routine. If a member objects, an item will be removed and considered separately. Would any member like an item or items severed? Seeing none, roll call, please. On items 2, six, two through 16, <clears throat> Supervisor Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. Supervisor Ronan. Ronan, aye. Supervisor Safai. Safai, aye. Supervisor Stephanie. Stephanie, aye. Supervisor Walton. Walton, aye. Supervisor Chan. Chan, aye. Supervisor Dorsey. Dorsey, aye. Supervisor Engardio. Engardio, aye. Supervisor Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Supervisor Melgar. Melgar, aye. And Supervisor Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. There are 11 ayes. Those ordinances are finally passed, passed on first reading and resolutions adopted. Next item, please. Item 17, this is an ordinance to authorize the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission and the Office of the City Attorney to approve settlements of claims arising out of the September 10th, 2023 break of the SFPUC's water transmission pipeline at the intersection of Fillmore and Green Streets for uh, amounts exceeding 25,000 per claim, notwithstanding Administrative Code Section 10.22, but not to exceed 1 million per claim, and to delegate authority under the Charter Section 6.102 sub 5 for the settlement of related litigation, if any, up to an aggregate total settlement amount not to exceed 7 million, subject to periodic reporting to the Board of Supervisors, Government Audit and Oversight Committee. Seeing no names on the roster, we'll take that same house, same call. The ordinance is finally passed. Next item, please. Item 18 was referred without recommendation from the Land Use and Transportation Committee. Item 18 is an ordinance to amend the planning code to designate the Westwood Park entrance gateways and pillars as a landmark and to affirm the CEQA determination and to make the appropriate findings. Roll call. On item 18, Supervisor Preston. No. Preston, no. Supervisor Ronan. Ronan, Ronan, aye. Supervisor Safai. Safai, aye. Supervisor Stephanie. Stephanie, aye. Supervisor Walton. Walton, aye. Supervisor Chan. Chan, aye. Supervisor Dorsey. Dorsey, aye. Supervisor Engardio. Engardio, aye. Supervisor Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Supervisor Melgar. Melgar, aye. And Supervisor Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. There are 10 ayes and one no, with Supervisor Preston voting no. This ordinance is finally passed. Next item. Item 19, this is a resolution to express support for the Soma Pilipinas Gateway Cultural Marker and to uh, encourage the urging the Arts Commission 
to, to commission new works that center voices and stories that are not currently reflected by the current collection. Same, oh, I'm sorry, roll call. On item 19, oh. Supervisor Good. Preston. Supervisor. I'm sorry, Supervisor Dorsey. Oh, thank you, President Peskin. Um, colleagues, I wanna thank all of you for your unanimous co-sponsorship of this item. Uh, this resolution and the hearing we had, it, had on it uh, speaks to the importance of having a world-class cultural marker for our Filipino community here in San Francisco. I wanna thank Soma Pilipinas and Rich uh, Hillis for the, of the planning department for their work and also express my appreciation to the Arts Commission and many others for their feedback. Um, I'm confident we will have everything we need to work together toward the gateway or a similar, similarly significant cultural marker. At committee, we made some amendments, uh, but because of the importance of incorporating additional feedback, I have some amendments to offer today. I would ask your forbearance for the amendments I'm about to read into the record. And I know this is normally done at committee, uh, but in consideration of the community's patience throughout this process, I'd like to pursue the path of least resistance and make a motion to amend this with the following language, which you all have before you, but which I will uh, read into the record now. In the long title, resolution expressing support for a permanent cultural monument, add the words and public realm artworks, resuming uh, Philip for the Filipino Cultural Heritage Dis District, urging the Arts Commission to commission new works that center voices and stories that are not strike reflected and replaced with highlighted by the current add civic art to collection, uh, such as the voices that reflect Filipino cultural and, and identity, and finding that the Soma Pilipinas Gateway Project would provide a model for the city to advance social and racial equity by, add the words, visually uplifting, strike producing cultural monuments that lift up the rich history and collective experience, contributions, struggles, and triumphs of people of color and immigrant communities who are an important part of San Francisco's diversity and soul as a city. At page two, line five, striking 2020 and replacing it with 2023. At page two, line six, striking the words and adding monuments and memorials in the civic art collection, and then should center and add underrepresented. <clears throat> adding at page 11, the following whereas recitations, whereas the San Francisco Arts Commission is advancing the recommendations of the Monuments and Memorials Advisory Committee through a project funded by the Mellon Foundation to broadly and transparently engage diverse communities who have historically been excluded from discussions regarding the process of commissioning new monuments and memorials, and whereas this project to continue with the community engagement and activist aspirations through 2025, and include a comprehensive equity audit of existing monuments and memorials in the civic art collection, and whereas the engagement of diverse underrepresented communities will give the Arts Commission in the commissioning, will guide the Arts Commission in the commissioning of new works, and whereas the Arts Commission is actively doing outreach to the Filipino community for new works being commissioned in the Soma Pilipinas Cultural District. And then at page three, adding, <clears throat> whereas a bronze plaque contextualizing this conflict and sacrifices made by the Filipino people in the struggle against the occupying American forces was permanently attached to the base of the Dewey Monument by the Filipino American War Centennial Committee of San Francisco in 2019, and then striking the background information contained on pages three, line 14, through pages eight, like 11, um, adding at what in the original version would be page eight, like 15, a permanent cultural monument and public realm artworks such as, after that clause, adding two more whereas clauses that read, whereas the Arts Commission has provided Soma Pilipinas representatives with technical assistance to navigate the public art guidelines and the considerations of designing an artwork in the public realm and right of way so that it remains beautiful and well-maintained for years to come, 
And whereas a similar gateway over the road in Los Angeles was designed by its Bureau of Engineering and owned by the City of Los Angeles Public Works, which could streamline the coordination and administrative costs necessitated by its location over a road and ensure timely maintenance, now therefore be it, and then on page nine, like uh, through five through seven, strike report replaced with and memorials committee final report, strike reflected by and replaced with currently highlighted, strike current and replaced with civic art. And with that, I'd like to move to adopt these amendments that express my appreciation for your forbearance on this. Motion made by Supervisor Dorsey. Is there a second for that motion? Seconded by Supervisor Mandelman. Colleagues, can we take those amendments without objection and on the item as amended? A roll call, please. On item 19 as amended, Supervisor Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. Supervisor Ronan. Ronan, aye. Supervisor Safayi. Aye. Safayi, aye. Supervisor Stephanie. Aye. Stephanie, aye. Supervisor Walton. Walton, aye. Supervisor Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Supervisor Dorsey. Dorsey, aye. Supervisor Engardio. Engardio, aye. Supervisor Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Supervisor Melgar. Melgar, aye. And Supervisor Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. There are 11 ayes. The resolution is adopted as amended. Next item, please. Item 20, this is an ordinance to retroactively authorize the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner to accept and expend an approximate $1 million grant from the California Department of Public Health, Substance and Addiction Prevention Branch and to amend the salary ordinance for fiscal years 2023 through 24 and 2024 through 25 to provide for the addition of three grant funded uh, positions, um, a forensic laboratory analyst, a toxicologist, and a supervisor uh, beginning December 1st, 2023 through June 30th, 2028. Seeing no names on the roster, same house, same call. The, the ordinance is passed on first reading. Next item, please. Item 21, this is an ordinance to place a total of, approximate, uh, of an approximate $48.4 million in various departments' budget appropriations specified in the mayor's fiscal year 2023 through 24 mid-year budget reduction plan on the Board of Supervisors Budget and Finance Committee Reserve in fiscal year 2023 through 24. <clears throat> same house, same call. The ordinance is passed on first reading. Madam Clerk, why don't we go to our 230 special order uh, commendations. Yes, the 230 special order commendations is for meritorious service to the city and county of San Francisco and its residents. Why don't we start with District 8 Supervisor Raphael Mandelman. Supervisor Mandelman, the floor is yours. Thank you, uh, Mr. President. Coco Drake and your folks, you want to come on up? To the front. <laughs> maybe, maybe, Calvin, you can help Coco get up to the front. You go for the microphone. All right, so today um, I'm taking this opportunity to recognize uh, our Haight-Ashbury Community Nursery School, which is in Coal Valley in District 8, um, and its longtime director, Coco Drake. Uh, this year, the school, also known as the Co-op, is gonna be celebrating its 50th anniversary. The Co-op opened in 1974 and is located at Grattan Playground in Coal Valley. Coco was there from the very beginning, initially as a co-parent. 
An early childhood education professional, she took over as director of the nursery in 1986. One co-op parent described Coco as the lifeblood of the school, creating an environment filled with fun, understanding, and love. It's under her supervision that our children continue to grow and thrive. It's also under her caring and at times pure genius guidance and dedication to the mission of the nursery school that has both remained in place and its core values have been implemented in such a consistent way for the past 50 years for generations of families. Coco helps everyone she knows to see the good in others and the potential of what community can really be. Co-ops are not for everyone, but for local parents who are able to juggle their work lives and find the time to help out at the nursery, this co-op has provided a rare, affordable, and wondrous chance to see and help nurture their kids as they play and learn with their friends. Families become part of a strong and compassionate community which lasts through school to college and beyond. Back in October, I had the opportunity to go out and visit with Coco and some parents and kids at the school, and this is obviously a sweet, sweet place, uh, a gem uh, in District 8, um, well-deserving of recognition, and so we wanted to do that today to thank uh, Coco especially for everything that she's done for the nursery school uh, and for the broader community. And with that, Coco, the floor is yours. <laughs> I didn't really prepare anything to say, but I will tell you this. When I joined the co-op in 1980 with my own two children, I never realized what a life-changing experience that would be for me. I immediately felt the warmth and welcoming love and the, the happiness of the children. And if you go into daycare centers, frequently you'll hear crying. You don't hear crying very often in our school, and if we do, we find out what's going on right away. But um, I, I had no idea what a wonderful experience I was in for when I joined. And I think it's the nicest thing I ever did for my children, who are now 44 and 47 years old. Um, looking back on it, it gave them the foundation of being truly compassionate, strong people, self-motivated people, creative people, all the children that come back to me and my own children just really inspire me. It just inspires me. And I have to tell you right now that the parents who participate in our nursery school are not ordinary people. They pay for the privilege of working at their children's nursery school. They help the community by maintaining the space and providing a place where the neighbors who come to Grattan Playground are welcome to play there. And they, they really have served the community. They pay, to pay not only tuition and work at their school, but they, they help maintain the, the nurseries. They help maintain the playground. And um, years ago, when I first joined, there was no extra room where there was a which we call our good morning room, they, they got grant money. Our children, my, <laughs> I'm sorry. 
the, the parents got grant money to make this special room so that there would be a little place where we could go in and read stories and tell news and act out stories and do uh, in focus time for children. Some of the children would want to do it. And no kid is required to do anything that they don't want to do at our school except come to lunch. <laughs> That's it. They have to come in, sit down to lunch, and then we either talk about news or talk about um, safety rules or sing songs or do sign language. A, few, a little brief time to focus just before they eat their lunches. And uh, our, our school has just a little bit of structure and a whole lot of freedom. The children there are not factory farmed, <laughs> I hate to say it, um, children from public schools, although I don't want to say anything bad about public schools. We're lucky to have schools. But they are free-range children. They have a lot to say about what goes on every day in our school, and they get a lot of support and love from all the parents there. Um, for me, being there isn't just a job. It's a sacred trust, and I consider our nursery school a sacred place. And I'm so honored that I've gotten to be the teacher director there for 37 years. Madam Clerk, let's go to our second special order of commendation, Supervisor Ronan. Thank you, President Peskin. Just gonna thank you. Um, and if I could call Sarah Liebert and Dr. Takahashi to the mic up here. Colleagues, today Supervisor Malgar and I are honoring two individuals who are making concrete positive change in the academic achievement of hundreds of students and support supporting a cohort of teachers to develop their craft in mathematics instruction at SFUSD. Sarah, Sarah Liebert, principal of John Muir Elementary School, and Dr. Akiko Tahashi, who we lovingly call Dr. T, are both educational visionaries who have been instrumental in supporting a promising math pilot at, at SFUSD. In 2015, Sarah Liebert, then a teacher at John Muir Elementary, tested a math intervention to address pervasive failing scores at her school, whose students are predominantly low income and students of color. The improvement in academic achievement and rigor Sarah brought to her classrooms are undeniable. Students' math scores skyrocketed, especially for black students, Latinx students, and English learners. 
And while not a literacy intervention, literacy scores improved at the same astonishing rate. In 2019, Sarah became the principal at John Muir and continued to champion the math pilot. In 2022, motivated by Sarah's success, my office secured city funding along with Supervisor Malgar and worked with the Board of Education Commissioner Matt Alexander to expand the math pilot to three more schools. What is now called the whole school lesson study math pilot includes elementary schools in District 5, 8, 9, and 10. Led by Sarah and her stellar team, the program is already showing great promise. These results are mirrored by the joy of Sarah's students and teachers. In December, I witnessed a public demonstration of a first grade lesson taught by John Muir teacher. I was amazed by the students' engagement, enthusiasm, and the sophisticated language that they used when solving math problems. The teacher's skill in facilitating discussion and encouraging students to explain their ideas to find the answer was nothing short of extraordinary. Sarah, you are one of the most inspiring leaders uh, that I've ever met in San Francisco, an incredibly gifted educator. You've become a personal, almost a personal friend of mine. I feel like you're becoming my friend. I call you practically every week at this point for advice. <laughs> Um, and I just cannot thank you enough for all of the work that you've done at Muir, but not stopping there. I mean, the job of a principal is already so overwhelming, especially in these times uh, with the crises after crises at SFUSD. But you not only are holding it down for Muir, you have said, we want to take what we've developed with so much success here at Muir, and we want to expand it to other similarly situated schools. Nobody does that except for you, and that's why it is my immense honor to recognize you today. Thank you. <laughs> now I want to turn to Dr. T. <laughs> um, we have the pleasure, and these two are uh, partners in crime, so uh, that's why we're honoring them together. Um, but we have this incredible opportunity to recognize another gifted educator and champion of mathematics education and the professionalism of teachers who has been instrumental in the success of this pilot. Dr. Akiko Takahashi, who we warmly refer to, as I said, as Dr. T. Dr. T is the premier educational leader in Japan who has been implementing the pilot's approaches, lesson study, and teaching through problem solving for many years. Dr. T is currently an associate professor of mathematics education at DePaul University in Chicago and researcher at Tokyo Gakugai University in Japan, where he runs an intensive math teacher training program that has co-teachers from around the world, including dozens and dozens of teachers from SFUSD. Dr. T was a teacher in Japan for many years before becoming a teacher educator in mathematics. During his career, he was nationally active in math lesson study in Japan. A New York Times profile of his work in 2014, which was entitled, Why Do Americans Stink at Math, cites the moment he came to the realization that math instruction could be transformed from rote memorization and endless worksheets into a much more effective number sense and student-led problem solving using their skills that they develop. 
Early in his own teaching career, he was inspired to facilitate passionate discussions among students to uncover the process needed to get to the solutions. Dr. T ran um, it, or has been reforming mathematics education ever since, reinvigorating classrooms around the globe with the joy of teaching and learning math. He has served as an advisor to John Muir and now the four school pilot supporting the professional development and implementation of this effective math intervention. His work has impacted dozens of teachers and hundreds of students in San Francisco who are learning to excel and more beautifully to love math. Thank you, Dr. T, for making your mark on educators and students in San Francisco. Thank you for paving the way for so many of us uh, to learn to bring the joy back uh, to, to teaching and learning math. Um, and, and, and thanks for all the partnerships. I also just briefly wanted to recognize a few people in the audience. Um, we have Mira, who disappeared, but I think she's here somewhere. Carberry, uh, who is coordinating um, the math pilot uh, around the district. We have Phil Darrow, uh, a legendary educator in California who helped create the uh, Common Core curriculum. And we have the honor of having the Council General of Japan uh, who has uh, joined us today and, and has been really excited about this partnership. Thank you so much. We're so excited to hear a few words from you, uh, Principal Liefert and Dr. T. Thank you, Supervisor <laughs> oh, 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 but before that, can I pass the mic over to Mirna Malgar? Sorry. Uh, I have nothing to add, okay. my dear colleague, uh, except that I'm so thrilled we're doing this. And um, also, thank you, uh, Deputy Consul uh, Hakajimi, for being here uh, and uh, for supporting us in all of this. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Supervisors. First, I want to assure you I don't give any advice outside of education. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> Uh, thank you. Uh, you know, I, I'm not very good at accepting things like this. Um, and not that I'm not good at it, but I, I need to recognize that there's a community behind what is going on at John Muir. There's a district behind what is going on at John Muir. There are families behind what is going on at John Muir. And most importantly, there's students behind what's going on at John Muir. Um, and so I'd be remiss not to recognize all of the different parts of our community. Um, that have uplifted specifically our African-American Latinx student achievement at John Muir Elementary School here in the city. And then I just wanted to thank uh, the supervisors um, for your support. I believe in collaboration. I believe in making change means that we have to come together, all of the stakeholders, and I see you all as our partners. And I hope that we can continue the work together to make sure that San Francisco public schools are the best that they can be. So thank you. Well, thank you very much. Well, this is my honor to you know, receive the recognition. In San Francisco, United States, there are a lot of good teachers. But unfortunately, these are spot of excellence. But we need to have a system of excellence because we have to have every single student have right to you know, receive the high quality of uh, mathematics education. So our program is nurturing all the teachers to be professional, to 
equal, provide equal opportunity for every single student. Like not a spot of excellence, but extended to be a system of excellence. That's our program, and we've been working with Sarah and then other principals to make it happen. But it takes time, so gradually, one step at a time, to changing the culture and then nurturing teachers to be a professional. Thank you very much. Welcome, Council General. Madam Clerk, could you please read the next item on our regular calendar? Item 22 is an ordinance to amend Ordinance number 8-18 to authorize the general manager of the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission to enter into amendments and extensions of or replacements for the bank credit facility agreement authorized under ordinance number 8-18 to provide liquidity support as needed for power purchases, regulatory requirements, and other financial obligations of the San Francisco Clean Power SF Community Choice Aggregation Program for an additional term or terms not exceeding 10 years. Seeing no names on the roster, we will take this same house, same Mr. call. Mr. President, Supervisor Walton's not in the chamber. Oh. We will take this same house, same call. The ordinance is passed. Shaman, pass on first reading. Next item, please. Item 23, resolution to approve a declaration of restrictions with the R-San Francisco number 15 owner, LLC, to establish a no-build zone on a portion of property owned by the city adjacent to the owner's property at 1450 Owen Street, intended for future public park uses to provide for annual payments in the initial 72,000 with 3% annual increases to the city from owner in exchange for such restrictions for the term effective January 1st, 2024. Same house, same call. The resolution is adopted. Next item, please. Item 24, resolution to authorize the Port Commission to accept and expend an approximate $9.6 million grant from the United States Department of Transportation, Maritime Administration, Port Infrastructure Development Program to fund the Amador Street Infrastructure Improvement Project from March 1st, 2024 through February 28th, 2027. Same house, same call. The resolution is adopted. Madam Clerk, could you please read items 25 and 26 together? Items 25 and 26 called together are two resolutions for the Department of Public Health, the DPH. Item 25 retroactively authorizes an accept and expend grant increase for a new total amount of approximately $4 million from the California Department of Public Health uh, for participation in a program entitled California Tobacco Prevention Program uh, term July 1st, 2023 through June 30th, 2024. And item 26 
retroactive authorization for DPH to enter into a grant agreement through June 30, 2027 between the City and Advocates for Human Potential, Inc., having anticipated revenue to the City of approximately $6.7 million for construction at 822 Geary Street, first floor, uh, to include a permitted and restricted use. Same house, same call. The resolutions are adopted. Madam Clerk, could you please read items 27 and 28 together? Items 27 and 28 are to accept and expand grants for the MOHCD, the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development, to execute a standard agreement with the HCD California Department of Housing and Community Development. Item 27 is for a total award approximately in the amount of $8 million. Dis uh, disbursed under the Infill Infrastructure Grant Program to the City for Infrastructure Improvements Related to Property located at 850 Turk Street and 750 Golden Gate Avenue, selected by the State of California for 100% affordable housing projects for the period started on the execution date of the Standard Agreement to June 30, 2030, and as amended. Item 28 is for a total award uh, of $31.97 million to include $22 million dispersed by the HCD as a loan to the MP Turk Street Associates LP for 100% affordable housing at 850 Turk Street and approximately $10 million dispersed as a grant to the City for Public Transportation Improvements near 850 Turk Street for transportation, streetscape, pedestrian improvements, and other transit-oriented programming uh, for the term through November 30th, 2043. Same house, same call. The resolutions are adopted. Next item, please. Item 29, resolution to support Midpen Housing Corporation's submission of an application under the Excess Sites Local Government Matching Grants Program to the California Department of Housing and Community Development to develop and construct an affordable 75-unit multifamily rental housing development affordable to low-income households as phase one on a state-owned excess site located at 750 Golden Gate Avenue. Seeing no names on the roster, same house, same call. The resolution is adopted. Next item. Item 30, resolution to approve and authorize the execution of a First Amendment to the amended and restated loan agreement with San Cristina LP, California Limited Partnership to increase the loan amount for a new aggregate loan amount not to exceed 12.8 million approximately to finance additional rehabilitation costs related to a 100% affordable 58 unit multifamily rental housing development uh, for very low income formerly homeless households located at 1000 Market Street. Same house, same call. The resolution is adopted. Next item, please. Item 31, resolution to authorize the police department to accept and expend a grant in two payment installments for a total amount of up to $6.5 million from the San Francisco Special Events Committee nonprofit to fund overtime costs incurred by the police department in support of the city's hosting of the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation, the APEC Summit, in November of 2023 and to approve the associated grant agreement. Supervisor Chan. Thank you, President Peskin. Colleagues, just wanted to make you aware of exactly how much um, APAC um, costs the city uh, in terms of city funds uh, while we're 
uh, pleased to know that we're accepting the $6.5 million from the Special Events Committee raised for APAC to cover some of the uh, police uh, overtime cost. Um, we know that we also have at the Budget Committee release um, $6.5 million of the APAC reserve. So it's really even out uh, both from the accepting this money as well as releasing uh, what it's on reserve for spending. Uh, but on top of that though, the city also has spent roughly about uh, another $20 million with um, airport um, SFMTA, uh, Department of Emergency Management, all related to, uh, and Department of Public Works, all related to uh, hosting APAC. Um, at the end of the day, I think there is a debate and questions between um, the long-term investments of this $20 million for the city uh, and the immediate budget deficits that we have to tackle with this $20 million of spending. Um, it's the reason why, though, um, we also have uh, introduced a supplemental um, support um, thanks to co-sponsors uh, Board President Peskin and Supervisor Dorsey um, because we also are very much aware uh, while there are winners in this APAC events there are also losers which are our small businesses uh, especially those located in the exclusion zone during the APAC event and so when that do come before you then hope to have your support thank you thank you Supervisor Chan so we can take this same house same call, the resolution is adopted. Next item, please. Item 32 was referred without recommendation from the Budget and Finance Committee. Item 32 is a resolution to authorize the Sheriff's Office to enter into a Fourth Amendment to a contract with the San Francisco Pretrial Diversion Program for pretrial services, increasing the contract amount for a new total of 19.8 million, approximately. Uh, with the same term through June 30th, 2024, with two one-year options to extend. Supervisor Chan. Thank you, President Peskin. Um, colleagues, again, this item came out of budget without recommendation. Um, and though it is, uh, I, I do urge you to support it, approve it, um, but it is not without concerns and reservation that this item is before you today. Um, you know, we have this contract with a pretrial diversion uh, project since 2020. It went out to bid. It's the only bidder um, and that we uh, received this bid and now we are in contract. Um, but I am concerned the fact that there's no audit and performance uh, audit uh, since 2021. Um, we know that this is only till June 30th of 2024. I look forward to seeing more information uh, during the budget process. The budget and legislative analysts have made series of recommendations during the committee, which um, the sheriff's office, as well as pretrial diversion projects, are committed to provide those information uh, before they come before us again during budget. Um, while I urge you to approve it today, um, again, I, we have a lot of concern. Uh, it is one of those contracts that I urge you to pay attention to, um, and which we definitely will at the budget committee. Thank you. And I note for the record, after having called the head of pretrial diversion, David Maroof, that they indicate that their 21 and 22 fiscal year audits will be turned in hopefully this week. Supervisor Stephanie. Thank you, President Peskin. Colleagues, I will not be um, voting in support of this contract amendment today. Uh, I have long held concerns regarding the pretrial diversions project's capacity to deliver on its promise 
of reducing recidivism and advancing equity within the justice system. When this contract was brought before us in 2021, I voted against it, and I then voiced my reservations about the contract and my lack of confidence in the pretrial diversion project's ability to deliver on meaningful outcomes for those it um, serves. And while the project has celebrated what they have alleged to be high safety ratings for their clients, it is difficult to take these figures at face value given the history of unreliable and unverified reporting. Uh, for instance, in 2020, the nonprofit reported that approximately 90% of its clients did not reoffend and that 76% made all required court appearances while enrolled in its programs. Uh, we found out that actually wasn't true. Uh, looking at cases between 2016 and 2019, the study found that 55% of defendants were rearrested, either in San Francisco or in other jurisdictions in California during the pretrial period, and that riskier defendants were more likely to be rearrested. The California Policy Lab, who performed that study, observed that by this measure, San Francisco's safety rate was actually substantially lower than rates in other jurisdictions using um, the algorithms. So I expressed my concerns three years ago uh, when I voted no on this. And just seeing, um, watching back the discussion and budget, you know, by the sheriff's office, their own admission, it does not uh, complete an annual assessment of the pretrial diversion project's performance and compliance with contract requirements. And I also want to note my nonprofit legislation will be taking care of all of this when it gets back before us um, after it goes to committee uh, with the amendments that I'm making with some other nonprofits. But the method of calculating um, their ratings, um, in my opinion, continues to be sus suspect and not actually being looked at. Uh, the BLA has also reported that the contractor is out of compliance with these financial reporting requirements, and because it has had two years of negative net income in fiscal year 2020 and 2021, fiscal year 2021-22, notwithstanding this, it, is, it now appears that the city is uncertain as to the financial stability of this organization. Again, we've been here before, and I, I'm really looking forward to the changes that will be made by the controller's office when our nonprofit legislation does finally pass, but the most current available audited financial statement is more than two years old, and the BLA has shared that they cannot adequately assess the organization's current financial condition. While I appreciate the conversation regarding contract amendments and the recommendation made by the BLA that were taken in com committee, with so much at stake, I cannot, again, in good conscience, vote to award um, more taxpayer money to this organization, uh, given the state of things. So I will be voting no. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Stephanie. Supervisor Mandelman. Uh, thank you, President Peskin. Um, I share the, uh, some of the concerns that uh, Chair Chan articulated about this contract, and I share some of the concerns that Supervisor Stephanie has articulated, I think that uh, there is some very good work that SF Pretrial does. I think that we also have some real concerns about um, both the, the lack of financial data and, and measurement and then also uncertainty about how to think about pretrial's overall success as we ask them to do more and more. So I think for me, I, I don't think it's practical to vote against this right now. I don't think we have anything else in place to do this work. I think we need this work done. But I think the fact that this contract is up for renewal in the summer means that uh, we'll be looking to the Sheriff's Department um, uh, and then on the Budget Committee, I think we'll be interested in trying to make sure that we're actually measuring uh, what pretrial is doing and that they're actually um, delivering the services and measuring them and, uh, and, and doing this responsibly. Uh, Supervisor Melgar also had 
No, good comments, I think, in committee. So I think, I think it's not a foregone conclusion that, this, uh, that we renew this in, in the summer um, or renew it in the same way. I think members of that committee are gonna have um, questions along the way and other members of the board may, but for now I will be voting yes on this amendment. Thank you, Supervisor Mandelman. Madam Clerk, would you please call the roll on item 32? On item 32, Supervisor Preston. Preston, aye. Supervisor Ronan. Ronan, aye. Supervisor Safayi. Safayi, aye. Supervisor Stephanie. Stephanie, no. Supervisor Walton. Walton, aye. Supervisor Chan. Chan, aye. Supervisor Dorsey. Dorsey, Dorsey no. Supervisor Engardio. Engardio, aye. Supervisor Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Supervisor Melgar. Melgar, aye. And Supervisor Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. There are nine ayes and two noes, with Supervisors Stephanie and Dorsey voting no. The resolution is adopted. Madam Clerk, could we please go to our special order 3 p.m. hearing, and could you read items 38 through 41? Items 38 through 41 were continued from December 12th, 2023. Item 38 is the public hearing of persons interested in the decision of Public Works dated November 1st, 2023 to approve a tentative parcel map for a two-lot subdivision project at 1365 through 1371 York Street. Item 39, uh, item uh, 40 and 41 are the motions that either approve the decision of public works, conditionally disapprove the decision, or direct the preparation of findings. All right, uh, is someone, uh, Supervisor Ronan. Thank you, um, our office is in discussions uh, with the appellant and the um, applicant. And with both of their agreements, I'd like to make a motion to continue this item to the March 5th, 2024 board meeting. Okay, motion made by Supervisor Ronan, seconded by Supervisor Preston to continue this uh, hearing to March 5th. Madam Clerk, how is our March 5th calendar? Actually, I know the answer to that if I just look over here. And that works. All right, uh, is there any public comment on the continuance of this matter to March the 5th? Ms. Lowe, are you about to testify? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, seeing no members of the public for public comment on this item, public comment is closed. And on the motion to continue this item to March the 5th, a roll call please. On the motion to continue items 38 through 41 to March 5th, Supervisor Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. Supervisor Ronan. Ronan, aye. Supervisor Safayi. Safayi, aye. Supervisor Stephanie. <laughs> Stephanie, aye. Supervisor Walton. Walton, aye. Supervisor Chan. Chan, aye. Supervisor Dorsey. Dorsey, aye. Supervisor Engardio. Engardio, aye. Supervisor Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Supervisor Melgar. Melgar, aye. And Supervisor Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. There are 11 ayes. The item is continued to March the 5th. Madam Clerk, let's turn, return to our regular agenda. Item 33, please. Item 33, resolution to authorize the office of the mayor to solicit in-kind donations through the Civic Bridge Program from various city contractors, notwithstanding the behested payments ordinance for six months from the enactment date of this resolution. 
Seeing no names on the roster, colleagues, we will take this same house, same call. The resolution is adopted. Next item, please. Item 34, ordinance to amend the fire code to require filling with the fire department records of five-year inspection of fire sprinklers. Um, forgive me, that's to require filing with the fire department. Records of five-year inspection of fire sprinkler systems and annual inspection of fire alarms and detection systems to mandate a filing fee to ensure that the costs of providing for such filings are recovered without producing revenue that is significantly more than such costs, and to require a minimum five feet access from the public right-of-way to residential structures on newly subdivided lots. Seeing no names on the roster, we will take this same house, same call. The ordinance is passed. Oh, Supervisor Engardio. Roll call on item number 34. On item 34, Supervisor Preston. Preston, aye. Supervisor Ronan. Ronan, aye. Supervisor Safagi. Safagi, aye. Supervisor Stephanie. Stephanie, no. Supervisor Walton. Walton, aye. Supervisor Chan. Chan, aye. Supervisor Dorsey. Dorsey, no. Supervisor Engardio. Engardio, no. Supervisor Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Supervisor Melgar. Melgar, aye. And Supervisor Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. There are eight ayes and three noes with Supervisors Stephanie, Dorsey, and Engardio vo voting no. Maybe I'll do this during roll call, but is there something that somebody knows that I don't know about a life safety? I'm sorry? What? Is there somebody's name on the roster that I don't see up here? Oh, I, it did not pop up here. Would you like Mr. to rescind President, the vote? While so we were taking the roll call, I believe he put his name on the roster. Once you start calling the roll, you can't stop calling the roll. I'll leave it. Okay. Uh, next item, please. I, Supervisor no. Stephanie's on the roster. Supervisor Stephanie. I move to rescind the vote so that an explanation can be made. Motion to rescind the vote on item 34 made by Supervisor Stephanie. Is there a second for that motion? Second by Supervisor Dorsey. We'll take that without objection. The vote is rescinded. Supervisor Stephanie. Thank you, President Peskin. So, um, Actually, uh, my no vote is a reluctant one at this point in time, and it's not um, certain that I will be voting no next week on it. Um, I have talked to our chief of our fire department, and I know that this is a fire safety issue um, that I have um, great concern about and have always voted with fire, and um, I hope to do so as well. There's a question about state law that I would like an answer to. I thought that Supervisor Dorsey would be saying that. That's why I hesitated, and then all of a sudden we were in roll call. Um, but anyway, uh, at this point, I just want to say that I'm not fully certain that the legislation is compliant with state law. I know that it's being looked into. Um, I want to have an answer to that question before I vote yes on this. I would like to vote yes on this. 
And uh, should that change over the next week, I have been assured from the city attorney's office that they will look into it. I am definitely open to changing my position and supporting this requirement. And I do want to thank our fire marshal, who we've reached out to, and he was fine with the continuance, but we understood that a continuance wasn't going to happen. That, why, that is why I think you have some conditional no votes here today. Um, again, uh, my vote may change. I don't normally do that, but I'm waiting for an answer. As a lawyer, I think it's, it's uh, important for me to find out whether or not there's this conflict with state law. And that question has not yet been answered, so I have a no vote now, but um, that may turn to yes next week. Thank you. Before I call on Supervisor Dorsey, and as a member of the Land Use Committee, having not received a cautionary letter, having had it signed as to form, having listened to the fire marshal, having the fire marshal sitting in the front row, and having the city attorney sitting over here, maybe we can just answer these right now. Is there any issue of state preemption, Mr. Deputy City Attorney, that the Land Use Committee was not informed about? Deputy City Attorney John Givner. Um, President Paskin, you're right that we approved this as to form, which indicates that the ordinance is defensible if challenged. Uh, some questions came up recently before this meeting uh, about the interplay between the ordinance and state law, which we are looking into. Don't have an, a, a complete analysis of, of that question uh, or of those questions at this meeting. Certainly will by next meeting, whether you continue the item today or, or pass it on first reading today. Okay, this raises some process things, and as president of the board and kind of a long-term member of this body, generally, if there are some after-the-fact legal infirmities or questions, president of this board knows about it and then may suggest a continuance, but this is catching me totally by surprise. Um, I mean, generally, somebody tells me, like, this item is going to be continued. I mean, Mr. Fire Marshal, are you, my understanding of state law is that the state uniform building code we tear off of and can, relative to our local conditions, regulate more stringently if it is in the best interest of life safety. And you made a presentation to the Land Use Committee wherein you talked about zero lot line and you showed pictures of burned houses and explained how you had to get numerous firefighters down a corridor and couldn't do it in a smaller corridor. What do you know? You, uh, Supervisor, um, President uh, Peskin, Supervisors, Ken Coffin, your fire marshal. Uh, you are correct when it comes to code. As uh, it tears down, as long as we become more restrictive. Now, SB 9 specifically talks about allows up to four feet. Okay, and what we're asking for is 12 more inches because of the way our construction and our topography is in the city and the difficulty it's going to be. Um, the one caveat in SB 9 it does state that as long as what we're asking for does not inhibit the ability to build two 800 square feet two 800 square foot units in the rear of the building, we can make these uh, changes. So what this is asking for the state legislation, SB 9 says, when you build, you do a lot split, and that's what we're talking about is a lot split, whether it's an empty lot or whether there's a home in the front. If you're gonna take half of that lot and give it to somebody else or sell it to somebody else, as long as they can build 200 or two 800 square foot units there and allow in the front the same. What we're asking for is this much room for access to the state law. This does not prohibit the building of two 800 square foot lots. It says it allows us access from the front to the back. 
Unfortunately, you know, California, like when they say, again, when they pass these laws, it's not meant for San Francisco. Nowhere else do you have zero lot lines in the state of California, okay? So because of that, we have to make little tweaks to it when it comes to us. I live out in suburbia. I have 15 and 10 feet on the side. When they talk about the four feet setbacks, that's really for the new construction that's going on in the rear. But it can also be considered for the present home. But normally you don't tear down the present home out in suburbia to build another home in the back. You already have the 10, 15, five feet to get there. What we're asking for, some homes have three foot tradesmen entrances. On the west side of town, you have homes that don't even have a tradesman entrance. You have a typical garage, a stairway up, a stoop that gets in there, 20 foot lot lines. So this is why the change is there. But going back to your question is yes, we want to be more restrictive because we have to be able to get ourselves, we potentially we're gonna have a neighborhood behind a neighborhood if it really got built out the way that potentially that the law allows. So SB9 does say we can make changes and really what we're making this change for is when somebody comes in and says, I want to do a lot split, the planning department can do ministerially go, yep, has the five feet, checkbox, 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 go, right? There's no discretionary review as part of it. Now you can go the other way. Now if they say, I only want to give you four feet, well, they miss that checkbox on the ministerial approval and then it will go through the normal process. Right, there's equivalencies going on. So it doesn't totally prohibit them going less than five, but if you want a ministerial approval, you get it through the process, give us five feet access. Now you say, oh, I'm gonna have, give up five feet of my lot, I got 20 foot lot lines out there in the sunset, right? This is gonna make my building only 15 feet wide. Nobody lives in a 15 foot wide building. No, what it says is if you have, SB9 says, if you have an existing building and you're going to build something in the rear, most likely you're gonna rebuild the front anyway. If you rebuild in the same footprint, it's gonna be considered an existing building. The only way the thing we said is, please just give me a five foot by 80 inch pathway with some sprinklers so our firefighters can get in the back and rescue the people in the back. Work and get them out at the same time. So hopefully well, that answered your question. I probably went a little farther than what was thank, expected. No, thank you. That was almost better than in committee. Supervisor Dorsey. Thank you, President Peskin. So I want to express my appreciation to Supervisor Chan for her work on this and also to the fire marshal and the fire department for their work. And I know it goes without saying that, you know, we are, I think we're all on the same page about um, fire safety. I think what was raised, concerns that were raised about SB9, and I appreciate what you said. I just, I think I know better having worked many years in the city attorney's office to ask for legal advice and open session, but I would feel better knowing that we're not doing something that is a, what would be tantamount to an unforced error um, given the, the degree of oversight we have from the state HCD. Um, that's the, just something that we're gonna have a lot of scrutiny on this city about what we're doing and if we are doing it something that is not in compliance or out of uh, step with SB9 we may have enough challenges reaching the uh, 82,000 units of housing that we need to you know, facilitate the production of in the next now seven years. Um, I just wanna make sure that we are dotting every I and crossing every T when it comes to our obligations to this under state law. Uh, I have said this before, but the consequences of failure on our housing element and RENA goals are gonna be disproportionately um, harmful to the district I represent because of the potential loss of state funding for housing, for affordable housing, but also for transit. Um, so that is something where I just, you know, unless there's some reason that this has to go immediately, um, I would feel better having a, a, 
you know, some a detailed explanation from the city attorney's office so that I know that we're not doing an unforced error in effect um, and just doing our due diligence. So for that reason, I would support a continuance, but I, if not, I will vote no on this. Supervisor Chan. Thank you, President Peskins. Um, you know, colleagues, I am disappointed. Let me uh, say a few words uh, about just setting the context, which I did when I first introduced this, uh, requesting the drafting of this in September 2023. And then uh, again, during the land use committee, I have articulated why, but I'm gonna set the context first and then I'm going to the process that actually went uh, before it even landed on your desk uh, today uh, for this vote. Um, you know, in September, when we first introduced this was in the context of the Maui fire. Uh, it was actually the deadliest uh, fire in the U.S. history. Um, and this uh, legislation is not just about the five feet uh, access, fire access. It also included a uh, cost recovery fee so that we make sure that we can implement uh, a compliance systems for the five-year sprinkler uh, system. Uh, inspection. Uh, with that said, you know, I was born in Hong Kong and grew up in San Francisco's Chinatown, North Beach, uh, some of the densest uh, both in the city and neighborhood, city in the world, and then also uh, densest city in our city, uh, densest neighborhoods in our city. Uh, with that said, you know, constantly is seeing that how difficult it has always been for firefighters to fight fire in very uh, narrow uh, hallways, uh, difficult um, spaces, and with that, you know, understanding that Westside is uh, facing that pressure to continue to build, which frankly, I've been really supportive of, including supportive of, you know, passage of uh, even Supervisor Malgar's uh, legislation to make sure that we can have four plexes, uh, continuing to see that how we can increase uh, funding and supports for people to build accessory dwelling units on the west side. And with that said, also this legislation uh, was introduced on November 7th. And let me just say that it actually went to co-advisory committee um, and the co-advisor committee, if you don't know it, is actually under our Department of Building Inspection with 17 members that really regulate and review building codes, uh, mechanical codes, electrical codes, plumbing codes, green building codes, uh, and housing codes. So we went to the advisory committee uh, earlier this year, and then it also went to the Building Inspection uh, Commission uh, it was, uh, I want to be transparent, it was the 4-2-2 vote, uh, but really, uh, again, uh, it won out because the understanding that uh, this is fire safety concern, um, specifically about the fire access. I really appreciate uh, Fire Marshal Kevin Coughlin's uh, explanation, but colleagues, I just want to really quickly pull uh, up the presentation uh, for actually our land use committee. Um, the presentation that was presented by, by our fire marshal Coughlin at the uh, land use committee. If I could have Madam Clerk to pull it up for us. Yes, we'll do so right now. It'll really give you a visual of what he just explained to us. And of course, thank you to land use committee for TV. going through that process as well. Um, if we must talk about all this process since November 7, why we're still questioning of well, about whether it's in compliance of state law, I do not understand. But here we are in the firefighter access 
just if we can go to slide two, is sort of what uh, Fire Marshal Coughlin was explaining about how you build into the divided lot. It's just really what we're looking at. If you look at the arrow there, and I don't want to play uh, as if I'm a fire expert, but truly is what I learned from both his presentation, but working with him on this legislation, is really what we're talking about is the access. And, you know, uh, folks have talked about uh, how about this access through the sky or that through the corridor, which is shows that through the corridor, it actually provides in the legislation, if I may point to you, and in case you haven't have a chance to really read through, because I know many legislation come before us, um, but it's actually on the legislation page five. Um, it really provides that, you know, while this access should build through the sky, but there's an uh, exception for it, and here is the exception. And if I may go to the next slide, that tells you that actually this is also coming from the fire experts of why they need the dimension that they need, the width that they need. As you can see, what you're seeing in the middle is a three feet. Um, and then the next slide. We'll show how they actually need those access through to the back lot, or in this case, the formal term will be the divider lot. And the next slide. Again, this is a fire scene. I'm sure that fire marshal can also, again, walk you through. And then the last slide. To show you that, you know, what it's, again, the access through a garage and the constant challenge about how there's impediments with debris and pile up and how it's actually not easy to throw a ladder to try to get to the back of a lot from the front of the lot. So all which is to say, this is actually about fire safety. Uh, I... Uh, I'm not too sure how to argue against uh, this at the expense of fire safety. Um, and I do not understand it. I'm disappointed to hear it. But I can also understand that wanting to be in compliance of the state code. Um, but then again, as I articulated through this whole process since November 7, uh, through the entire legislative process that any legislation that all of us legislate would go through. And, and as all of us understand, if there's any, as articulated board president, there is any concern, legal concern, that we could be in violation of state law, for sure we always get a precautionary memo. In fact, I think most of us, most of us, most of us would get that before our legislation is even drafted. We say, hey, this is not going to fly because let's do some uh, research on what it means for state code uh, and we could be in violation of it. In fact, let me tell you, when I was drafting this legislation, there is one thing I couldn't do. And let me tell you what it is I couldn't do because it's in violation of state code. I cannot mandate a sprinkler system for the accessory downwind units because it's some for whatever reason, it's banned by state code that we cannot have a sprinkler system for accessory dwelling units. And now that is mind boggling because again, why can we have, if we're building dancer, why can we have a sprinkler system for accessory dwelling units when we know a sprinkler system for every second actually help people can actually escape and fight fires and uh, save their lives? Uh, well, what I was told by some is also because it seemingly is because um, it was cost prohibited. So we are now really arguing about um, profit against safety, fire safety, and people's lives. Um, I'm, I'm not too sure how else to, to argue 
against this um, other than I am, I am urging you, colleagues, uh, I, I'm not entertaining a continuance. Uh, it's enough. I, I, I think that we could really vote on this. And for those who have to say, you know, you must vote no on this today, then so it be on your conscience. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Chen. But let, let me just get one definitive answer from the city attorney. City attorney, deputy city attorney, Givner, do you envision issuing based on whatever questions have been raised, a cautionary letter between now and the second reading? Or are you advising this board now, confidentially or not, that there is uh, risk here? I Because mean, I, up until now, I mean, I know the rules of the game. I've not seen a cautionary. I've never heard anything from the city attorney's office. I mean, if supervisors want to continue it, that's their right. But do you envision issuing cautionary advice to this body between now and a week from now? I would not want to get into whether, whether or when my office issues cautionary advice because that indicates a potential risk in any ordinance. Okay. Uh, I will say that if this board would like to receive a confidential response to the SB9 question, uh, in writing, in a privileged document, we can provide that to you. Not, not necessarily in a, as a cautionary memo of the, of the kind that you're talking, that you're referring to, where we're talking about a risk with an ordinance, uh, but just explaining the issue and our view of it. Okay, but your original statement that this is highly defensible or defensible holds. Yes, our, whenever we sign an, an ordinance as to form, our signature as to form indicates, among other things, that the ordinance is defensible if challenged in court. Okay, Supervisor Stephanie. Thank you, President Peskin. And I just want to uh, thank Supervisor Chan for this legislation. Obviously, it's extremely important and have been following it. And it's one of the reasons why I called uh, Chief Nicholson this morning uh, to ask her about it because I didn't know until uh, yesterday that there was even this issue of whether or not somebody plans to submit a notice of violation of state law for um, if we pass this legislation, if we're in violation of SB 9 and government code section 65852.2. Whether or not that is frivolous, whether or not it's, it's, I think it's a pragmatic question to understand what does that mean um, and does that put us in a bad situation? That's the only in question I've asked of the city attorney's office. If the city attorney's office is fine um, and thinks that we will not jeopardize um, anything by being out of compliance, even if we were, th then that's fine. We just haven't been able to get an answer on that question that's come up in like the last 24 hours. And I simply wanted an answer to that question uh, like I said, my conscience is fine. Um, I am completely for fire safety, and that's why we reached out to the fire marshal to ask them, you know, him about this. And we, I want to vote for this. I want to vote for this. I just want an answer on whether or not we are out of compliance in any way, and if that would hurt us, and how it would. Um, that's all. That's the only thing that we were trying to get an answer to. And like I said. Um, 
it could be a reluctant yes today. It could be a reluctant no. I want to thank Supervisor Chan. I think fire safety is the most important thing and prevails over all and the safety of our firefighters and those in our residences. And so if we are out of compliance, what does that mean? Do we fight it? You know, it's just a pragmatic question when legislation comes before you to really understand what you're voting on. Um, I don't think that should be problematic to ask the question. Thank you. Supervisor Melgar. Thank you, President uh, Paskin. I just uh, wanted to chime in uh, as I'm the chair of the Land Use Committee. Um, and we heard this uh, in committee. Um, you may remember that I was also the president of the Planning Commission and I was on the Building Inspection Commission and I just wanted to explain, because I think this may come up in the future, um, as we are seeing a bunch of state legislation that affects uh, our own code, both planning code and building code, that um, SB 9 incorporates that four-foot rule by reference to the California building code, uh, which is the standard for all cities in California. Um, our own building code is based on that, but supersedes it because, as uh, our fire marshal um, explained, we have unique building conditions in San Francisco. We're built close together. Um, in 1906, as you will remember, after the big earthquake, it was the fire uh, that ensued that destroyed so much of our housing stock, um, you know, above and beyond what the earthquake destroyed. And so we have to have uh, a building code that responds to those specific conditions. And we are allowed to go beyond it for life and safety issues. So because this may come up, you know, in some other instances because of the changing state laws, I'm pretty confident that this is something that we can do. We, if, if it wasn't, then our, in, the entirety of our San Francisco building code would be in question here. Um, and we are allowed to do it, as I said, because we are unique. So I just wanted to say that, um, I don't know if I swayed any minds, but I think that um, you know uh, we considered it at the land use committee and we approved it unanimously. Thank you, Land Use Chair Melgar, Supervisor Safai. Thank you, President Peskin. I, I just wanted to call the fire marshal back up because I just wanted to ask a clarifying question that I, that I thought he said, and I thought uh, <clears throat> when I heard him say that, it made me feel a lot better. D did you say, I, I don't, I don't want to misquote, but did you say the five-foot minimum was what would be required as part of this ordinance? for being code compliant, but there still was flexibility given the certain circumstances of a particular application that you have the ability to make adjustments to smaller than that. If, when you said like pro projects in the sunset that might be a 20 foot lot, can you just talk about that a little bit more? Because I feel like that sheds a lot of clarity on the subject um, in terms of compliance with state law and allows for the flexibility, and I think that's an important point. Correct. Thank you for the question, Supervisor. Sorry. Through the chair. Sorry. Um, sorry. <laughs> the question. So you are correct. So uh, the building department, uh, through the application, does have a process which we affectionately know as AB005. It's an administrative bull, and they put out anybody can ask for anything that doesn't meet the code. The difference is, is if we if we get the five feet approved now, it allows for the ministerial approval. Rubber five stamp feet. of five feet. Five feet, right. But if you want to go less, you could say, I want to do one foot if you really want to, but obviously it wouldn't. No, but it doesn't matter. But I'm just saying is you could go five or four. There is some there is some leeway. The difference is it will be, you know, discretionary review, which will take a little bit longer. 
So we're just trying to get to is ideally we want everybody to have do that five feet, give as much space as well. It's not even that much space. If you see if you see what a ladder and a hose line is going to do, it's not that much space. The difference is the three feet. Now we talk about housing stock, and I do want to touch on one other subject is, okay, ADUs in the back. This is not touching access to ADUs in the back. That we're still going to have to work our way down that three-foot tradesman entrance that somebody has some gas meter in and their garbage cans in, right? It's obstructive, but we work with it. This is a lot split. This is I'm selling my backyard to somebody else. New structure. Okay, and it has to be no worse than 60-40. Okay, so if I'm selling 40% of my back lot and I don't no longer have a say what's happening back there and they can build two 800 square foot units up to 20 feet tall, two feet from your fence line or up to four feet, whatever the building department and the discretionary review decides on, that we can actually get to that building in the back. That's the issue. Okay, I really believe that when they wrote this, the four feet was was property lines when they built the new building. It didn't have to do with the building in the front because nowhere else in California do they go less than five feet. So what we're saying is, give us our five feet, let us do our job. Otherwise, you build a whole neighborhood behind these buildings, you're making it really hard in the fire department. I won't be around in the 10 years when this happens, when you get that density, but I gotta look out for the people I work with and their children and everybody else who joins the fire department. And that's all we're asking for. Thank you, and, and just a point of clarification for the sponsor. Is this five-year, I'm, I'm looking at the other part of, since I wasn't in committee, since we're talking about it, I'm sorry. But is this five-year inspection, is it just for new? What if you already have existing, I mean, for what size building? I can't see that in the legislation. I'm, I'm trying to read as quickly as I can. But is it existing buildings or just ones that have been added ADUs or just for new construction? Through the chair. Through the chair, I, I want to answer that question, and uh, is basically we already have five-year sprinkler system inspection in the code. It's currently existing uh, requirement. What is happening though? We're actually um, having a charge a cost recovery fee that allow us to charge a fee for the five-year inspection and collect that and build out a system which then we know which building is up for five-year inspection because right now we don't really have a computerized or built out system that be able to alert our fire marshal to to do that they're, I mean they're doing that on a on a on a routine basis but not um, it's uh, it's it's when they come in and, and needing to do renovations and whenever they are touching the building or improving the building, then they will also have to submit the five-year inspection certification. So now it actually allow us to be more proactive um, in a, with with going about the compliance. Okay, thank you, Supervisor Chan. Does that are you done? No. no, go ahead. Well, uh, yeah, all right. Well, no, Supervisor Preston has not been on the roster. Go ahead, Supervisor Preston. Thank you, President Peskin. Well, uh, I will uh, admit I did not know we'd be having an extensive debate on the details of this, um, what I thought was an ordinance around which we had consensus in committee, but since we're all talking about it, I will jump in to say this. Um, to the extent folks have concerns, obviously it's the right of any member of this body to consult with the city attorney. This is a first reading. There will be a second reading. There will also then be a 30-day period uh, before this even goes into effect. So uh, I think you get all your questions answered by then. I, for one, don't want to be part of 
delaying a fire safety law from going into effect, perhaps guided by the many fires that I've unfortunately had to be at in my district assisting people. Um, I did, while I have the mic though, want to recognize um, and thank uh, Supervisor Chan for her leadership on this and also recognize that as part of a series of efforts and wanna uh, recognize President Peskin's work, uh, Supervisor Chan's work, our office's work around fire safety issues and there's been a series of legislation, I think again, none of which have, have triggered um, controversy, but all of which I think have been important, including the what's been at land use on the lithium ion batteries that President Peskin has been leading on, the high-rise sprinkling, sprinkling law that, uh, that uh, President Peskin led on, uh, Supervisor Chan's work here on sprinkler inspections and fees um, and, and, uh, and reports, um, as well as this crucial issue of access um, when there's a lot split uh, and uh, our work around um, the fire response hearing that we held um, and what I, in, in which everything from sprinkling to support of displaced people uh, was discussed. What I, the reason I bring all these up has been the incredibly collaborative work between the San Francisco Fire Department, including our fire marshal and our fire chief, um, and all of us who have been working on this issue, and I think that's reflected in this legislation. And I, for one, uh, have absolutely no issue with and am frankly surprised uh, that there would be opposition uh, to something recommended by the fire department um, on a first reading, again, when we have at least 40 or more days before the law would take into effect. Obviously, member, uh, and, and I would suggest actually that if a member wanted to duplicate the file and to the extent that uh, after getting your legal advice you thought there were changes, that's your sole prerogative to do. Um, but I think uh, uh, my two cents is that casting a vote against this is really a vote against uh, taking the precautions, uh, fire safety precautions recommended by our fire department. So I will be enthusiastically voting aye. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Preston. And before uh, we go to Supervisor Chan and then Supervisor Stephanie, I do want to say one thing that Supervisor Chan said. This was introduced in November. Two and a half months later, it went before the Building Inspection Commission that recommended it to the Board of Supervisors. So, I mean, this is not like, you know, a bunch of non-expert folks who are jacks of all trades, namely the 11 of us. I mean, this went to the Building Inspection Commission. Um, I, I'm still just, and no individual offense, just in the future, if we're gonna have one of these, just tip the Board President off, please. Supervisor Stephanie. Thank you, President Peskin. And, you know, I just wanna say something. <laughs> There is no need to cast dispersions on one another when we have questions about legislation that come before us. This is our job to ask questions. As an attorney, a question came up late in the game that I thought was worth asking the city attorney's office. I asked the city attorney's office that question, and I was met with hesitancy, which made me very trepidatious about it. I made my calls, I did my due diligence, all last minute because it didn't even rise to my level of knowledge until it was brought to my attention. 
So based on what I am hearing from the fire marshal today, in a discussion we should be having as legislators of the legislative body of the city and county of San Francisco, which is why we're here, based on what I heard from the fire marshal today in, the, in this room, based on conversation with our deputy city attorney, John Givner, I am comfortable with voting yes, and we'll be following this throughout the week to make sure it's fine. But in the apologies to President Peskin for this not rising to your level and next time that this is something I will make sure happens. We have had discussions between aides and talking about continuances to try to get answers to these questions. But yes, when a question comes up before someone in this body, especially an attorney who hasn't a question, why not just afford them the respect to like get the question answered? This is not personal. It's pragmatic. I just want an answer to a question. And I respect Supervisor Chan for this legislation. I thank her. I've started out by saying I wanted to vote yes on this, and I called the chief based on what I've heard today in these rooms from the fire marshal, from our deputy city attorney. I am comfortable now voting yes, and I'm happy to vote yes on this legislation. Fire safety, as I said, and as I've shown throughout my career here, is most important to me. So I will vote yes today, and if something were to come up in the next week where we get different information from the city attorney's office, we can handle that then. But I want to thank you all for having this conversation. I want to thank you, Supervisor Chan, for introducing this very important legislation. And thank you um, for allowing us to have this discussion. Thank you, Supervisor. Um, why don't we call the roll? On item 34, Supervisor Preston. Preston, I. Supervisor Ronan. Ronan, I. Supervisor Safai. Safai, I. Supervisor Stephanie. Stephanie, I. Supervisor Walton. Walton, I. Supervisor Chan. I. Chan, I. Supervisor Dorsey. Dorsey, I. Supervisor Engardio. Engardio, I. Supervisor Mandelman. Mandelman, I. Supervisor Melgar. Melgar, I. And Supervisor Peskin. I. Peskin, I. There are 11 ayes. The ordinance is passed on first reading. Next item, please. Item 35, resolution to grant revocable permission to Otis Property Owner, LLC, to occupy and maintain the 12th Street Plaza on 12th Street at the corner of South Venice Avenue, fronting 90 12th Street, uh, to approve a non-exclusive public sidewalk easement and adopt the appropriate findings. Seeing no names on the roster, same house, same call, the resolution is adopted. Next item. Item 36 is a motion to appoint Hannah Grant and Laura Jones to the Food Security Task Force for an indefinite terms. Same house, same call. The motion is approved. Next item, please. Item 37, this is a motion to appoint Wing Kwan Kelly Wong to the Elections Commission term ending January 1st, 2029. Same house, same Mr. call. President. Uh, I'm sorry? Oh. Uh, Supervisor Chan left the chamber. Same house, same call. The motion is approved. Madam Clerk, could you please go to committee reports? Yes. Uh, items 42 through 44 were considered by the Land Use and Transportation Committee at a regular meeting on Monday, January 29th, and were sent as committee reports. Item 42 was recommended as amended, bearing a new title. Item 42 now reads, Ordinance to delegate to the Treasure Island Development Authority various powers related to acceptance of public parks and open space improvements. 
that are required as part of development of the Treasure Island Yerba Buena Island project pursuant to disposition and development agreement, the development agreement, and special use district in planning code section 249.52. Seeing no names on the roster and a full house, we will take these uh, items. Mr. President, yes. I only read item 42. Oh, I'm sorry. My, I'm sorry. I, I will keep going. Okay. Item 43 was recommended as a committee report. Item 43, ordinance to accept an irre irrevocable offer of public infrastructure associated with the Treasure Island, Yerba Buena Island project subphase 8B, 1C, 1E, 1YA, and 1YB, including improvements located within portions of Avenue of the Palms, Bruton Street, Clipper Cove Avenue, Kravitz Street, Garden Walk, Johnson Street, Seven Seas Avenue, Trade Winds Avenue, and Treasure Island Road on Treasure Island, McCullough Road, Signal Road, Treasure Island Road, and Yerba Buena Island Road on Yerba Buena Island, potable water storage tanks on Yerba Buena Island, and electrical substructures serving as switchyard on Treasure Island, and city utilities and private streets, and a service maintenance road to dedicate this infrastructure to public use, to designate the public infrastructure for street and roadway purposes as applicable, to accept the public infrastructure for city maintenance and liability purposes, subject to specified limitations, and to establish the official public right-of-way widths and street grades, to amend ordinance number 1061 entitled Regulating the Width of Sidewalks, to establish the official sidewalk widths on the above-mentioned streets, to delegate limited authority to the public works director, uh, and to adopt secret determination and to make the appropriate findings. Item 44 was recommended as a committee report. It's an ordinance to acknowledge the Treasure Island Development Authority's acceptance of certain improvements on portions of Yerba Buena Island and Treasure Island to include ferry terminal improvements and the authority's acceptance of the improvements for maintenance and liability purposes to dedicate improvements to public use and to adopt the CEQA determination and to make the appropriate findings. All right. Now, seeing no names on the roster, we will take these three items, same house, same call, the ordinances are passed on first reading. Next item, please. Item 45 was considered by the Rules Committee at a regular meeting on Monday, January 29th. It was recommended as a committee report. Item 45 is an ordinance to require that the new public library branch serving the Ocean View, Merced Heights, Ingleside, and Lakeview neighborhoods be built on the city-owned parcel of land at 100 Orizaba Avenue subject to environmental review, required approvals, and other applicable laws, and to prohibit the expenditure of city funds to explore, pursue, or plan construction of a new public library branch serving those neighborhoods at any alternate location, except as required by the environmental review process, required approvals, or other applicable law. Supervisor Safai. Thank you, President Peskin. Uh, colleagues, um, this ordinance you have before you is about a library in my district uh, that is over six years in the making, library project. I want to give a little bit of context and background so you understand a little bit why we got here and, and apologize to the members of the Rules Committee that have to hear this again. But originally back in 2018, the Library Commission wanted to dedicate $9 million to renovate the existing Ocean View Library um, in District 11 uh, that was built very uh, quickly, 
and as keeping a promise uh, to the neighbors that were dealing with a lot of violence in the community then by Mayor Brown. Um, that is the smallest neighborhood library in the entire city and county of San Francisco, less than 9,000 square feet. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But neighbors from our community got together and pushed back and said they did not want to renovate the existing library, but instead wanted a standalone larger library. The library and DPW commissioned a study in 2019 that examined a number of public sites in the district, one of the criteria being we wanted to have at least 20 to 25,000 square feet that could serve not only the, the Ocean View um, neighborhoods, but potentially serve some of the other surrounding neighborhoods and be a draw and as a gateway. The only site that met all the city's criteria was 100 Orizaba on the corner of Orizaba and the beginning of Brotherhood Way. The library staff agreed to advance this site for consideration. Um, and in 2022, then CFO for the library committed in writing um, an additional 12.5 million for the library project with 34 and a half million outstanding. Uh, we went to work and were able to pass a library preservation fund in 2022, which I had in the writing um, the goal of funding the construction of the new library in the Ocean View Library. That's why I was the lead sponsor for the board at the time. Um, my constituents voted for it because they were told uh, that it would deliver a new library for their neighborhood at that site. So the site that we had, the money we had identified to fully build the site in November of 22. We worked with the SFMTA and the Transportation Authority to conduct traffic studies at this location in order to identify ways to make the site more pedestrian friendly. That was some of the things that we heard. People were concerned a bit about some pedestrian issues. I mean, in fact, at the time, Director Tumlin talked about not just short-term, but some long-term improvements that could be made to reconfigure the site that would get even more greenway along a beautiful library. Um, but we talked about doing some short-term traffic calming, in installing traffic signals. Um, we have begun this process with the TA and SFMTA staff, talking about Proposition L dollars and safe and Prop L safe street and signals monies we're, we're meeting um, as we speak. But unfortunately, um, unfortunately, between September 22 and 23, um, the only dramatic difference that happened was the mayor stepped into this conversation to take it in a different direction. Um, as you may recall, I asked Mayor Breed in question time a little over a month ago if she would support the library at 100 Orizaba, um, which her administration had identified nearly five years ago as the best option in the, in the neighborhood. And to be honest, I wasn't sure how she was going to respond that day, um, but I was taken aback by her response. In her response, the mayor only mentioned renovating the existing site. And unfortunately, that conversation ended in 2018, um, not honoring the commitment to a new library and saying that we didn't have the money for the cost of building the new library. After we at the Budget Committee, Chair Chan, myself, Supervisor Ronan, Walton, and Mandelman, we ended up putting money on reserve in the Budget Committee uh, because of the answers that we were, we were not satisfied with 
from the librarian at the time. About $35 million is sitting there, only to be spent on an Ocean View library. Um, so unfortunately, the, the statements the mayor made at that time were incorrect. Uh, we've secured about $47 million for the project, uh, and that was laid out in 2020. Uh, the project has undoubtedly grown in cost and size, but it's a solvable problem. Um, so that's why I introduced this ordinance to secure the site for the future library and ensure that we move forward to get it built. And I want to thank my co-sponsors, Supervisor Walton, Ronan, and Preston, for their support. And I say to colleagues who might be on the fence, and I want to be clear, there is no alternative site. There's not an alternative site in our neighborhood to build a 20 to 25,000 square foot library. Those sites and many of the others have been reviewed over the last five years. At the last moment, there's an alternative being tossed out by a nonprofit developer uh, who thinks that they can access library money to build uh, on private land, but they can't. It's not allowed. And it's on reserve, as I stated, it's only to be used for a library. Plus, the site that would be chosen that's not on public land would come at a cost in the millions of dollars, which would then make the cost of this project delayed even further, costs go up farther, and what would we be left with in the Ocean View Library? But more of the same, the same library that underserves the community. Supervisor Walton and Ronan heard in committee the leader of a couple nonprofits come and say, children literally have to wait outside. Seniors literally have to wait outside of this library. Um, so to quote President Biden, as he likes to say, don't judge me against the almighty, judge me against the alternative. There is no alternative here, guys. I just want to be honest. So, and to vote no to advance this forward is truly going to confine my constituents in Lakeview OMI to another decade of substandard library and services that's not big enough for the need of the community. We talk often over the last two years about the mental health of youth and seniors, and we talk about serving them fully, but we don't want to build a space for them. I, I never thought I would be here fighting over a library. I, I just never thought I would be in this position. So I want to say in terms of racial equity, Long, long overdue investment and promises over the last 20 plus years. Um, please support our youth, support as our youth commission did, support our seniors and support this library. And I know many other districts in the city have many more than just one library. District 11 literally has one library. And a lot of the surrounding neighborhood uh, neighbors and neighboring districts have more than one library serving their community. So I ask you to vote yes on this today and to support the neighbors and residents for, who, for over two decades have been waiting for this. Um, I do want to thank uh, Supervisor Melgar. Uh, we had some conversations this morning. Um, I have passed around colleagues an amendment that I hope you'll support that changes the language to rather than um, requiring to prioritizing uh, so that we're going to prioritize this site. Um, and I took, I think, about 50% of what Supervisor Melgar asked for. 
I think it leaves flexibility in case this site does not work out. Um, of course, I think we should have flexibility, but I will say that I think there's been a lot of work, effort, and energy put into this site. And so um, I would make a motion to accept the amendments that I've handed around today that would change the language. It's on page one of this ordinance. says the city to prioritize the city-owned parcel at 100 or Zaba um, and require departments to prioritize them at this location. That's on page one. And there really is, we made for parallel uh, amendments, page four, line 21, it says city shall prioritize those parcels. And then on page five, line two, it says prioritize the expenditure of budgeting. So I think this is a, a fair compromise. Um, I would have liked to leave it the way it was, but I, I understand we want to have some flexibility. And, and I do want to acknowledge that this is a gateway and it, it straddles a couple of different neighborhoods. Some of the things that we heard from some of the neighbors uh, across Brotherhood Way were concerned about traffic and that's why we've gotten to work with the Transportation Authority and the SFMTA to do both short-term and long-term improvements. The site is about a block from the M-Line um, and I think will be a phenomenal, phenomenal catalyst uh, for our neighborhood. Um, so again, I hope you'll support these amendments today and I hope we can pass this uh, legislation. Thank you. Motion made to amend by Supervisor Safai, second by Supervisor Walton, Supervisor Melgar. Uh, thank you, President. Um, colleagues, um, first I wanna echo uh, the demands from Supervisor Safai and for many folks in the OMI community. Um, that deserve an expanded new library, an Ocean View Branch Library. Um, however, uh, contrary to uh, the assertions of some, there's no consensus that this proposed location uh, is the best location. Um, you know, even though this particular parcel is in District 11, it immediately borders District 7 and impacts many of the neighborhoods that I represent. Um, Today, I had amendments uh, for this ordinance. I wanna thank Supervisor Safai for being flexible in the language. Um, I think uh, it is, what I was trying to do is, is two things. Uh, one is to solidify what uh, some in District 11 want and acknowledge their hard work in working towards this parcel. Uh, but I also want to have the flexibility to explore other locations. And there's a reason for that. Um, so uh, Brotherhood Way um, is sort of the gateway into the west side on that side of town. It is a uh, four-lane highway, as you probably have seen. It is practically a freeway, and it was designed with uh, green space on both sides, green space on uh, the District 11 side and then on the District 7 side, um, which is where H Mart is, if you have been to that area. Um, it is practically impossible for somebody to walk uh, from the parking lot of the Daly City BART station to San Francisco State University because of the design of that freeway. Um, so uh, I requested the Transportation Authority to conduct a study of the entire corridor, which includes Brotherhood Way on the other side of the 280 overpass, which is the entrance to Park Merced, which 
uh, this board entitled uh, in 2011 and is undergoing uh, the first phase of construction hopefully next year. So this entire area um, will, uh, it's, it's just begging for a redesign. The open space is not improved open space. It is really just grass and trees. There is a community garden on the District 11 side and there's a kind of sad little dog park on the District 7 side. So I think the folks in the community deserve some thoughtfulness uh, from uh, our city agencies, some good designs that will respond to modern needs, including perhaps the need for housing. The folks uh, in that neighborhood, the Merced Extension Triangle, think a lot about at Brotherhood Way. Uh, unfortunately, there was a proposal that Supervisor Safai referred to from the MTA that would have closed Brotherhood Way off to car traffic altogether, and folks were very, very upset about it. There is not a consensus, and my job as a supervisor is to lead a community process where folks can come to the consensus about what we're gonna do with this very valuable 12 acres of open space that is publicly owned. Um, it may be that a library um, is an appropriate uh, use for some of that public space. I'm completely open to it. But to uh, prohibit the exploration of other spaces, to me, when we have not uh, done the studies and when we have not engaged the constituents on my side, on District 7 side, to me is not something that I want to do. So um, there is a uh, motion on the table to do some of the amendments. Um, I will, uh, we will vote on that, but I unfortunately cannot uh, support this because it doesn't meet the needs of my constituents and I also think that it is a bad uh, public policy precedent to uh, say we're not going to explore anything else. Uh, notwithstanding some of the work that has been done, it has not been a thorough uh, approach. And I uh, also want to point out that uh, Michael Lambert, who is our city librarian, was not asked to be at this meeting nor weigh in on this. So uh, uh, with all due respect, Supervisor Safai, I cannot uh, support this. Supervisor Dorsey. Thank you, President Peskin. Um, colleagues, um, I would be in support of the amendments or that Supervisor Melgar would offer. I don't know if these, there's, these are amendments that you intend to offer, but if they're not, I, won't, I will not be supporting this. <clears throat> um, in my view, the, the amendments that Supervisor Melgar proposed um, were inestimably improved this. Um, on the original underlying legislation, I had concerns about effectively predetermining an outcome uh, by the public library, whether that is by a code-mandated preference or requirement that would fail to maximize the benefit of an expenditure of public resources. Um, now, the district I represent uh, has the privilege of enjoying the newest public library uh, branch, that's the Mission Bay Library, which when it was completed in 2006, was the first new branch in 40 years. Uh, the Ocean View branch will be the first in 20 years. But the Mission Bay Library prudently leveraged the investment of public dollars for a facility that included affordable housing for seniors, as well as community spaces, uh, a health center, and retail spaces. Um, I think it's a success that should be replicated, and, and that's especially true when we are on the hook, uh, again, as I mentioned earlier, to facilitate the production of 82,000 units of housing. 
Um, wherever we have the opportunity to leverage public dollars for more housing, we should be doing that. Um, because if we don't, we will face the consequences of failing to meet our housing element commitments. So I recognize that the library has been working on a new Ocean View library for many years now. But we also have new obligations as a city um, to facilitate housing production, and we have newly heightened consequences for failing to meet that. And as I mentioned before, my district will face disproportionate harms if we fail to meet that. Um, so it's my understanding that at least one of our affordable housing developers has been exploring opportunities on this project to take advantage of SB4, that is the yes in God's backyard law, <clears throat> and that there is a very real possibility that this project in partnership with a church and the city could open up very exciting potential development sites, including the communities this library uh, would serve. In particular, it's uh, Mission Housing with IT Bookman and Pilgrim Church. Uh, I know that they are exploring opportunities here and that this would be on land that would be owned by MOHCD, the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development. Uh, by building housing on potential sites, the library branch can leverage additional state and federal uh, funding to deliver desperately needed housing and also serve the public with with a new library. So I just want to recognize the, the work that everybody has done. If um, there's not going to be an amendment, then I will not be supporting this. Um, but I just appreciate everybody's work on it. Supervisor Walton. Thank you so much, Chair Peskin. Um, you know, I, I really want people to understand that this is not just about a building. Uh, this is really also about addressing the digital divide that exists here in this city. Uh, and I know, you know, with all due respect to everyone who's talked to community and had conversations with folks, there is 100% consensus from the low income indigenous community in D11 that often gets overlooked. 100% um, consensus from the folks who try to have a voice and try to get listened to and often Unfortunately, we don't hear their voices. So I know there are people of privilege and means who had an issue with the library. And Supervisor Safai took, took my words, but I've never seen this amount of opposition on something like a library, on something that is gonna help us achieve equity. Um, there was a process that was undertaken. It was described by the Department of Public Works it was described by members of community. Of course, we've done homework and talked to members in community. And the only voices who are negative to this project are folks with means already. We have a colleague that just testified I have a brand new shiny library, so why don't we go build a house somewhere, build housing somewhere else, because I have my shiny new library and screw the black community in Lakeview. We continue to have conversations about how we want to be an equitable city, about how we want to re remain diverse, about how we want to make sure we address the digital divide, about how we want to make sure that people who need options have them. So this is not just about a library. And if this site, which has been identified, and there's not a whole bunch of sites in San Francisco, and certainly not in this area, to be able to have the land to build a library, which I want to remind everybody as well, resources are secured for this to happen. Investments are already available. So 
for us to backtrack on this community, because we do have some loud voices of people with means, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. And once again, the small pockets of black communities get screwed. Thank you, Chair Pez. Thank you, Supervisor Walton. Supervisor Safai. I mean, I was trying not to take it there, but I appreciate what you said, Supervisor Walton. I mean, that, that really is the truth. You know, and, and the idea, listen, when we were in budget committee, I held up an email from the librarian agreeing to move forward with the transfer of land from public works to the library on record, ready to go. So that's one. Two, this idea that Supervisor Dorsey's talking about is really what they call bait and switch. It's an idea to come into a community, offer them something shiny that will never get built. Sam Moss, who we're talking about, and I'm going to call him out on the record because it's inappropriate what he's doing, told me six months ago, I can't go for a project in your district because you're not in the high-resourced area. We can't go for a project on Mission Street. So to be coming in and telling the community that you can build housing on a lot that the city doesn't even own, the church owns that. That's going to be millions of dollars. And then all that will happen is this community will not get a new library. This is a shame. This is really and truly a shame. And I'll just say, listen, I try to be respectful for the work that you all do in your districts and all over the city. I try to listen and learn. The only person besides Supervisor Walton, Ronan, Chan, Peskin, and Melgar that I've spoken with, um, and Preston, sorry, about this because Supervisor Melgar and I have had a lot of conversations about this. It is true. It straddles our district. There's a lot going on. But the truth is, the people that live on her side of the district, they don't want anything to happen on that site. They wanted me to carry a resolution to say no development will happen on the green space at any point, in any point in the future. They don't want anything to happen. They want the city to be frozen in time. We're trying to develop deliver a resource to a community that has had nothing but broken promises. Please, I think this is a fair amendment. I appreciate the conversation that I've had with Supervisor Melgar. Thank you for you know, trying to work with us. And I know that there's a lot more work to be done. I look forward to working with you on your larger vision for the space and, and time going forward. But I think this is a very straightforward uh, proposal that still allows for flexibility. Supervisor Melgar, final words before we vote. Thank you. Before we vote, I just wanted to uh, clarify a couple of things because a lot has been said uh, about uh, what is going on with this legislation. First of all, we are not voting on uh, whether or not the OMI should have a new library. That's not what this ordinance is. This ordinance prohibits spending any city money on any other site but this one. So that is, you know, not saying that the uh, low-income African-American community uh, in the OMI doesn't deserve a library or that, you know, privileged folks are uh, telling other folks what to do. It prohibits spending any city money on any other site but this one. And I think that that's 
bad public policy. Um, I also want to correct that this, uh, the folks on the District 7 side, um, it is not a privileged, wealthy neighborhood. It is actually some of the poorest districts um, in District 7. Metna is uh, very uh, ethnically diverse, it is working class, they are small single family homes uh, built up to the lot lines, um, lots of uh, Latinos and folks uh, who uh, you know bought their properties a long time ago when they could still afford it in San Francisco. It is not a wealthy area by any means. Um, and then Park Merced is the largest uh, rental uh, community under one ownership in the city. Um, and on the other side, it's San Francisco State, it's students. So this is not the wealthiest part of District 7 or the city. Um, and you know, it is true, as Supervisor Safai said, that a lot of those folks don't want anything built, which is exactly why we should be thoughtful about a community process that leads people along uh, a, a plan um, that they can see into their future. So that's all I will say. Thank you so much. Thank you, Supervisor Safai, for considering uh, some flexibility in this ordinance. Supervisor Walton, sorry, his thing is broken, so he has to come up and tell me. <laughs> then I'll go to, to thank, you. Thank you, Chair Peskin. And no, I, I definitely 100% appreciate um, Supervisor Melgar clarifying what we are doing here. And I 100% agree, like, this, this could be setting a precedence, but at the same time, we know that there are not a whole bunch of sites in the area, in District 11, to where we would even have the opportunity to be able to, to build a library. So although this, and by the way, Supervisor Safai's amendments actually make this less strong than it was before we had this conversation. But at the end of the day, there are no other sites in the district. The only other option would to be would be to renovate something that is already inadequate, that is not something that the community can utilize in the manner which the community needs. And that is 100% why this site is very important. And I, and I do have to reiterate uh, again that the folks that are fighting for this library, that are indigenous to, to this community, have been isolated, have been disenfranchised in this area for a long time. And all I'm saying is this will be reflective of having a deaf ear and not being sensitive to communities that always come and try to ask for something that they need and unfortunately get overlooked. And this is not about a building. This is about something bigger as we talk about equity for the future of residents mm. who are still who are still suffering from digital divides, who still don't have access to technology, who still don't have access to books and access to things that build education and start a foundation for communities. And this site is important. It is that important to this community. Supervisor Stephanie. Thank you, President Peskin. I have a question for the Deputy City Attorney, John Givner. Um, with Supervisor Ash um, Safai's amendments, changing the words to prioritize, do these amendments um, now, I mean, do they still prohibit 
the city from looking at other sites or spending money on other sites. I think that's where I think that's where people are getting a little nervous about. I mean, by changing the words to prioritize, does that lessen this fear of not being able to look at something else? Sure, Deputy City John, City Attorney John Gibner again. This amendment would change the ordinance so it no longer prohibits spending and it no longer requires that site as the only site subject to the city processes. What it would do is require that the departments prioritize that site and prioritize spending on that site. That is, treat it as their, their top option. But it doesn't prohibit the departments from spending money potentially on other sites. Thank you. Last words. Yeah, I'll just, I just want to clarify one thing for the record, and just so there's not any confusion for those that are coming into the debate late. Um, they have, we have spent time looking at alternative locations. The idea is where can you get a 20 to 25,000 square foot library in the OMI Lakeview neighborhood um, that is realistic and cost effective and timely. And so that's the problem. Um, and we've studied five different locations. Um, unfortunately, the librarian and other departments started spending money investigating other locations and started to ignore and deprioritize this site. And so that's how we ended up where we are. Um, so anyway, I'm not gonna say any more. I hope people can support these amendments. On the amendments proposed by Supervisor Safai, seconded by Supervisor Walton, a roll call on the amendments. Supervisor Preston. Preston, aye. Supervisor Ronan. Ronan, aye. Supervisor Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Supervisor Stephanie. Aye. Stephanie, aye. Supervisor Walton. Aye. Walton, aye. Supervisor Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Supervisor Dorsey. Aye. Dorsey, aye. Supervisor Angardio. Engardio, aye. Supervisor Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Supervisor Melgar. Melgar, aye. And Supervisor Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. There are 11 ayes. The amendments are adopted and on the ordinance as amended. A roll call, please. On item 45 as amended, Supervisor Preston. Preston, aye. Supervisor Ronan. Ronan, aye. Supervisor Safai. Safai, aye. Supervisor Stephanie. Stephanie, aye. Supervisor Walton. Aye. Walton, aye. Supervisor Chan. Chan, aye. Supervisor Dorsey. No. Dorsey, no. Supervisor Engardio. Engardio, aye. Supervisor Mandelman. No. Mandelman, no. Supervisor Melgar. No. Melgar, no. And Supervisor Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. There are eight ayes and three noes with Supervisors Dorsey, Mandelman, and Melgar voting no. The ordinance is passed on first reading as amended. Madam Clerk, let's go to roll call for introductions. First member to introduce new business is Supervisor Preston. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Uh, several items, uh, colleagues. First, uh, together with Supervisor Walton, uh, today I'm issuing a letter of inquiry uh, regarding the Senior Home Repair Program. Uh, the program was created 
in January 2022 with the stated purpose to provide assistance up to $50,000 uh, in the form of a forgivable loan to low and, uh, to moderate income senior and disabled homeowners residing in historically distressed and underserved neighborhoods in San Francisco. Uh, recently, uh, you may have seen Joe Eskenazi of Mission Local uh, published a detailed article uh, detailing uh, constituent experiences with the uh, senior home repair program and according to the article based on information uh, provided uh, from uh, MoCD um, as well as uh, uh, folks who had applied to the program um, they determined that in nearly two years uh, the program has repaired only three homes um, in contrast, other jurisdictions with similar programs do not appear uh, to have these kind of numbers. In fact, Washington, D.C. has a similar program to MoCD's program uh, that completes 50 projects a year. Um, so I appreciate the good intentions uh, behind the creation of this program uh, and strongly believe in the goals of the program, but I'm deeply concerned about how it is being implemented um, and many seniors in our communities and, and, and particularly uh, in uh, District 5 and in Supervisor Walton's district and District 10 include many uh, black seniors who have faced a history of housing discrimination and exclusion uh, and are folks who could really benefit from this important program and these funds. So we're eager to get clarity about the program uh, and to collaborate uh, with the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development and their new director um, to get this program on track. Um, second, colleagues, uh, today I'm introducing a resolution to uh, urge state lawmakers um, to reverse the devastating cuts to affordable housing programs uh, that are in Governor Gavin Newsom's proposed budget. Um, on January 10th, the governor unveiled a proposed statewide budget that sought to address a shortfall uh, through the use of reserves, delays, uh, or deferrals of spending authorized in earlier years and spending cuts. Um, unfortunately, among the cuts, um, a reported $1.2 billion of reductions in funding levels and delays and deferrals uh, to later years are proposed um, to affordable housing programs uh, in California. And the proposed uh, cuts beg the question of how can state officials require massive amounts of new affordable housing, ambitious targets, that we fully welcome and I think unanimously this board has fully welcomed and approved. Uh, but how can state officials require that while at the same time proposing to gut affordable housing funding from the state? It doesn't make any sense. We need the state to be a partner in creating more affordable housing for uh, working people and low-income people in our city. Uh, and the fact is, if the proposed cuts remain, um, more than an estimated uh, 6,400 affordable homes will be lost, uh, according to the statewide uh, coalition Housing California. So we can talk uh, until we are blue in the face about preventing homelessness, but if California is actually serious about keeping more people in their homes and housing more people, our state legislators must work to restore uh, these cuts 
that have been proposed uh, by the governor. Um, our constituents uh, and others across California's uh, lives depend on it. Um, and I want to thank my early co-sponsors of this resolution, President Peskin uh, and Supervisor Walton, Supervisor Ronan, and Supervisor Chan. Uh, and last, but uh, definitely not least, colleagues, uh, today I'm asking the budget and legislative analyst uh, to map out what it would take to adopt and implement Zurich's four-pillar strategy to reduce overdoses, connect people to treatment, improve street conditions, and prevent addiction in San Francisco. Um, earlier this month, the Office of the Medical Examiner reported that the total number of overdose deaths reached 806 through last year, the highest level the city's ever seen by triple digits. The number of deaths increased significantly for Latinx and black residents in particular who saw an increase in overdose uh, deaths by 50, uh, by, I'm sorry, 45% uh, for Latinx residents and 38% uh, for black residents. And in addition to the sheer devastation of this loss of life, it's heartbreaking to see the predictable results of a strategy that targets drug users for arrest. Now, public health experts warned of this. They warned that we would be seeing exactly what we are seeing, and their predictions are proving accurate. It could not be clearer that what we are doing is not working, and we need to hit the reset button. City leaders need to stop chasing headlines and start investing in evidence-based solutions, solutions that actually work. Fortunately, there's a model that we know works, and I'd submit to you we should use it. So our office had the opportunity, and some of you may have as well, I know Supervisor Ronan's office did uh, as well, uh, in October of, of 2023 to meet with a delegation of Zurich officials, uh, which included representatives from the four major arms of what they refer to as their four pillars, uh, their mayor's office and subject matter experts. Um, in detailed discussions and subsequent research uh, that my office undertook, we learned that during the 1980s, Zurich was dealing with issues that closely resembled some of the most pressing issues we see in San Francisco today. Open drug use in public places, issues with cleanliness and crime, and high numbers of overdose fatalities. Like many of us today, residents and public officials in Zurich were desperate for a solution. They came together, let me repeat that, they came together around the four pillars strategy, which includes prevention, treatment, harm reduction, and enforcement. Since the implementation of the four pillars strategy, Zurich has transformed. This model's reduced overdose deaths by over 60%, while also dramatically improving street conditions and crime related to drug dealing and use, including a 98% reduction in thefts. The strategy ultimately recognizes that addressing the drug crisis requires us to address harmful street conditions, provide support to people who use drugs to ensure they do not die from overdoses, and also invest in programs that will prevent and treat addiction through a collaborative approach that includes public health 
housing agencies, social services, and law enforcement as equal partners in planning and coordination. So the budget and legislative analyst report will lay out what it would take for San Francisco to make this approach a reality in our city. Now last year at President Peskin's urging, the city did create an entity to coordinate between departments. It was originally led by and housed in the Department of Emergency Management. Uh, it's now led by the San Francisco Police Department uh, to coordinate short-term law enforcement-led strategies on a block-by-block -block basis. Now, while any coordination is a good start, this kind of operation cannot be successful without the equal partnership from every department with a role to play in short-term interventions as well as long-term interventions that will ensure we can actually make sustainable progress on our goals. So there must be a shared roadmap to success between departments with a tangible goal that can enable departments to reverse engineer a plan to get there. And this is what Zurich did, and they did it in a very public way by developing a very aggressive goal to shut down drug markets by a specific date and then ensuring that every person using outdoors could be sent to a safe consumption site, that every person who needed treatment had the ability to access it, and that every person who needed comprehensive support and housing could have it. I do not accept for a minute that we cannot do this here. Our constituents are tired of the failed strategies, failed promises, and over-reliance on strategies shown over and over again not to work. We need a plan for success, and we need to implement a real plan to save lives, help people, and improve street conditions. So I urge all departments to cl collaborate closely and cooperatively with the budget and legislative analyst as it works to put this roadmap together. I've also asked for the, uh, this BLA report to be expedited, and I want to thank the BLA for their recognition of the urgent need to complete this uh, report as quickly as possible. We're losing too many people every day, and I think we all recognize the gravity of the crisis. Pushing people block to block isn't helping. Our street conditions are totally unacceptable, and the death rates are far too high. So we expect that this report will be completed uh, in approximately 60 days, which is an ambitious timeline, but one that we think the moment demands. And I want to thank everyone, street out outreach teams, ambassadors, first responders, medics, nurses, doctors, clinicians, social workers, behavioral health teams, street sweepers, sanitation workers, 911 dispatchers, small business owners and their workers, advocates and neighborhood residents who are working hard every day to step in where our leaders from Washington, D.C. to Sacramento to San Francisco have failed. So let's take a model that has worked and come together to implement it here without delay, excuses, or politics. Lives are on the line, and the residents of San Francisco are looking to us for vision, leadership, and results. So I look forward to the BLA report and working with you all and the administration to implement the four-pillar pil strategy here in San Francisco without delay. And the rest I submit. Thank you, Supervisor Preston. Supervisor Ronan. Submit, thank you. Supervisor Safai. Yes. Okay. 
Thank you, colleagues. Uh, I have two things today. One, I think, which is very important. Another one that is, is, is disturbing and also very important. I'm going to start with the one that has to do with hospitals. I'm calling for a hearing today on the status of UCSF's proposed acquisition of Dignity Health uh, clinical presence in San Francisco. I want to better understand what UCSF's plan is for St. Mary's Medical Center and St. Mary's Memorial, as well as a 35-bed psychiatric hospital, four medical clinics and parking lot, and what impacts the acquisition will have on patient care and staffing levels. I want to thank the California Nurses Association for working with me on this concern. I believe we're at a critical point in healthcare in San Francisco, and the consolidation of these systems should be reviewed and understood by this body in a public forum. Um, there's a potential for loss of jobs, there's potential of consolidation of services, and a reduction of beds and delivery. I look forward to hearing from DPH and UCSF on the status of the negotiations, the impact that the merger will have on people who made Dignity Health an important part of our healthcare delivery system. And I'm not just talking about the executives, but the nurses, the frontline medical staff, doctors, janitors, technicians, and clinicians who dedicate themselves every day to providing the best patient care possible. Uh, the second thing, I, I'm, it's not an introduction, but it's something that I want to point to that happened over the weekend um, that impacted uh, some of us, but I think it impacts all of us. Uh, there was a, a tech executive that called for the death of seven members of this board, um, admitted that he was in a drunken stupor, and then later the next day tried to retract it in, in a half-baked apology. And my immediate reaction, colleagues, given the history of this building, knowing what happened to Supervisor Harvey Milk and Mayor Moscone, every day I walk through the metal detectors, I think about that. I think about them being there to protect us and all of us in this building, but us. And today, as I feared what would happen, the gentleman has over a million followers on X. Now some of us are starting to get things shoved into our mailbox at our homes saying, Gary Tan was right. And I call for the death of you and your family members. That is out there now. So even if you weren't named, it, they're coming for all of us. And that's what happened when people use language that incites violence, fear, and aggression. So I will say, I'm filling out a police report. I know other members of this body probably are doing the same or have done the same. It is unconscionable for anyone to have a relationship with an individual like that that's calling for the death of our colleagues. That is a bad precedent. And now he's inciting people to come shove things in our mailbox calling for our death of not just us, but our loved ones. I wasn't even going to speak about it today, but I'm sorry. That cannot be tolerated by this body or any elected leader, including the mayor of the city and county of San Francisco. It should be denounced 100%. And there should be a true investigation. Because now, now I have to worry about my kids and my wife and my family members, not just me. This is horrible. 
The rest I submit. Thank you, Supervisor Safai. Supervisor Stephanie. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Colleagues, I wanted to follow up with you all and provide a status update on conversations my office and I have had with a group of incredible women leading organizations serving our city's most vulnerable populations. I've been working with this group of nonprofits since they submitted a letter asking that I take another look at my nonprofit contracting ordinance and to work on amendments to ensure that equity concerns be addressed and unintended consequences be accounted for. I've been so appreciative of their time and partnership, and I'll be very excited to bring those amendments before you in the next few weeks. Our conversations have also been centered around ensuring mutual accountability between the city and its contractors. A number of issues have been raised regarding the city's overall business practices and significant concerns regarding the timeliness of processing contracts and issuing payments. To ensure mutual accountability, I believe that policies need to be created that prioritize a robust process to address any delays, enhance efficiencies of the city's contracting systems, and allow for more flexible pathways for our fiscal sponsorships. So today I'm making a formal drafting request to the city attorney's office to address these areas of concern and significantly improve upon how the city does business with its contractors. Specifically in response to the concerns raised, I will be working to strengthen the city's prompt payment policy to make certain that we are doing absolutely everything we can to pay contractors on time and on a predictable schedule. I will also be drafting policies which will ensure that the city's rules and regulations reflect the flexibility often needed with fiscal sponsored projects. And I will be working to create a centralized system in which contract processing will be streamlined to ensure that we are maximizing efficiencies. I've been so grateful for those I've been working with from Black Wall Street, Mega Black, the Latino Task Force, SALT, the San Francisco Latina Parity and Equity Coalition, and I look forward to ensuring that we have true mutual accountability in how the city conducts its, businesses moving, its business moving forward. Finally, I would like to close today's meeting in memory of Lena Farrell, a cherished member of our community who passed away peacefully on January 4th at the age of 81. Lena was born on July 26, 1942, to Eckert and Ellie Ewalt on her parents' farm in Benfield, Germany, where she was raised with her two older brothers, Kay and um, two older brothers, Kay and Peter. In 1962, she completed her university education, and three years later, she embarked on a journey to New York with her cousin and best friend, Renate, joining her the following year. Ultimately settling in Alameda, California, she began her career as a stewardess for Trans International Airlines. And back then they said stewardess, of course, flight attendants, what we say today. Uh, Lena met her future husband, John Farrell, in Okinawa, Japan, and they re reconnected back in San Francisco after the Vietnam War. In Sausalito, John made his proposal to Lena memorable by placing the engagement ring at the bottom of her champagne glass, marking the beginning of their shared history. John and Lena were married on September 5, 1970, in Forest Hills, New York, and moved to the Marina District of San Francisco. In 1974, Lena gave birth to her son, Mark, with whom she re remained incredibly close throughout her life, lovingly referring to him as Scotsy. Mark would eventually become the District 2 supervisor, my beloved boss, and mayor of San Francisco. Lena cherished her remarkable daughter-in-law, Liz, who re reciprocated her boundless love in return. Her life was brightly illuminated by her three grandchildren, Madison, Jack, and Kane, who affectionately called her Oma. 
Lena held her German heritage dear and was the driving spirit in fostering the sister city relationship between San Francisco and, and Kiel. Lena is survived by her husband of 53 years, John, son Mark, daughter-in-law Liz, and three grandchildren, Madison, Jack, and Kane. I will deep, deeply miss Lena. To her friends and family, know she will never be forgotten. Her spirit will continue to live on in each of our hearts. As we remember Lena today, let's celebrate the life of a woman who lived with passion, dedication, and a deep love for her family and community. When I learned of Lena's passing, I texted my former boss, Mark Farrell, and I said to him, I am just so happy that I got to know her. She made us all feel like family. On behalf of the Board of Supervisors, I would like to extend my condolences to the Farrell family and friends for losing a beloved community leader in San Francisco and someone we all adored. The rest I submit. Thank you, Supervisor Stephanie. Supervisor Walton. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Colleagues, today I am introducing a resolution to be voted on next week to officially declare Sunday, February 11th, 2024, as 49er Day in San Francisco. As you know, our beloved Niner team will be playing in its eighth Super Bowl on that day, and our quest for a sixth Lombardi Trophy. It is always pleasing to have something positive to celebrate in this city. We are still the only team to come back from 17 points down after halftime to win the NFC Championship game. As a supervisor of District 10, and as you know, our district was the home of the 49ers at the stick for decades, and our community could not be more fired up. I'm looking forward to the entire support of this board, even from members who may have rooted for another team this past Sunday. We are willing to allow you to enjoy this celebration along with us. The rest I submit. Thank you, Supervisor Walton. Supervisor Chan. Submit, thank you. Supervisor Dorsey. <clears throat> thank you, Madam Clerk. Colleagues, I will have more to say about the uh, Resolution I'm going to uh, be introducing today when it is hopefully voted on next week, um, but I am today introducing a resolution that will add to the list of February celebrations that Mayor Breed mentioned at the start of this meeting um, and that Supervisor um, Walton just made reference to, and that list of celebrations includes Black History Month, uh, the Lunar New Year, which is especially meaningful to the District 6 office because my aide Madison Tam and I were both born in the Year of the Dragon and we're looking forward to the celebration. And of course, the NFL record tying six Super Bowl title that the San Francisco 49ers hopes to celebrate on February 11th. The additional celebration that I am proposing is February 12th, which will mark the 20th anniversary of the Winter of Love in San Francisco. This began a decade-long legal battle that would change the course of LGBTQ history and secure equal marriage rights that many of us, including me, never thought we would see in our lifetime. This was an example of San Francisco coming together and doing something extraordinary um, that I think benefits the entire world and really made history. Um, and I was proud to be a part of it. Um, so I look forward to talking about that next week and I appreciate everybody for uh, joining as co-sponsors and the rest I submit. Thank you, Supervisor Dorsey. Supervisor Rangardio. Submit, thank you. Supervisor Mandelman. I would like to be added as a co-sponsor to Supervisor Walton's resolution and the rest I submit. Thank you, Supervisor Mandelman. Supervisor Melgar. 
Thank you, Madam Clerk. Uh, colleagues, today I am calling for a hearing uh, to explore the needs of small local businesses uh, impacted by new housing construction. As we prepare for an additional 82,000 new units uh, to our housing stock, we must recognize that the concern that uh, over time there will be an increase in construction on commercial corridors. Uh, the change is not gonna happen overnight, but given that our city is uh, small, seven by seven square miles, I wanna acknowledge how some projects have a short-term impact uh, on businesses. New housing will bring thousands of new customers to small businesses in commercial corridors on the west side. Uh, there are significant long-term benefits. New housing units uh, bring new customers. Families will occupy them. They will be in our public schools. They will generate uh, lots of new business uh, money for income for our businesses in the city and county of San Francisco. Um, but as we go through this transition, it's crucial that our small business community doesn't bear the brunt of the impact. We did see what happened on the Van Ness corridor uh, when uh, the MTA put in uh, what we now all enjoy uh, in terms of uh, the rapid transit lane. Um, last year, I asked the Budget and Legislative Analyst Office to draft a report on uh, the possibility of creating a fund and how much that would um, cost, uh, a relief fund for small businesses impacted by future construction. And it has now been published. So um, I look forward to sharing that report with you, uh, analyzing it, seeing what we can do. Um, it was, it outlines the opportunities, the challenges, and the path forward for our small businesses. I want to uh, thank Supervisor Stephanie for her early co-sponsorship of this hearing, and I look forward to working with you all to support the next generation of San Franciscans to enjoy our diverse and historic small businesses. The rest I submit. Thank you, Supervisor Melgar. Supervisor Peskin. Thank you, Madam Clerk and colleagues. Uh, further to the words that Supervisor Safai uttered uh, during his roll call, uh, sadly, I need to address an issue that has been weighing on me, and frankly, it's been weighing on me uh, since uh, the pandemic, I think, led to an exacerbation uh, on social media that became a, 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 an increasingly violent space uh, an echo chamber for violence. And it was brought into sharp focus, I think, for all of us uh, after the uh, extremely violent Capitol Hill insurrection on January 6th of 2021. Um, and we all remember that inflamed by Trump's goading, uh, the assault <coughs> attempted to violently overturn a democratic election. Uh, the fundamental underpinnings of our democracy and ultimately resulted in the death of four members of the public during the assault and later of a total of five police officers in the days that followed. Um, I was a 14-year-old in the East Bay uh, when former Mayor of San Francisco George Moscone and former Supervisor Harvey Milk were gunned down in cold blood here in this building that uh, we are sitting in by an angry colleague who was angered by the growing popularity of political ideas that were at odds with his own and ultimately um, by the fact that he didn't get his way. Um, it was something that uh, had a profound impact on me even then 
long before I went to college with Mayor Moscone's son, Chris. Uh, and this was before social media could instantaneously rile up thousands of followers to take a careless tweet and heed a violent call to action. Uh, the stakes really are no less high today, as we saw uh, in the terrifying aftermath of the brutal assault on Speaker Emerita Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul, not far from where we sit. Um, I've been a champion for free speech in these chambers, uh, opposed some colleagues who uh, took issue with publications that they didn't agree with and city funding, therefore, uh, and frankly, for any individual's right to be uh, angry, to express themselves, even to say ugly and unpleasant things that we experience here in these chambers. Um, and as a three-term president of this body, uh, I have always tried to achieve a sense of safety and quorum in these chambers, even when it's not easy, uh, that allows the people's business, uh, even all, in all its varied shades of disagreement, to move forward. Uh, that's the fundaments of a healthy democracy. Um, I've spent many years, I'm my 17th year in this chamber, listening to the public, sometimes angry two minutes of public comment on anything and everything, including things that the board literally has no jurisdiction or authority over whatsoever. Uh, I've also duly tolerated the oftentimes menacing and ugly borderline hate speech on social media, given that the social media companies themselves have made halting efforts to regulate their own platforms, contributing to concerning documented public health and safety issues aired in recent congressional hearings. Last year, when Elon Musk purchased Twitter, virtually all oversight was abandoned, leading to an ex exponential increase in social media hate speech on that platform. But I really think it is incumbent on this body and on me as the president to draw a line at violent hate speech and incitements to violence and even to death. I want to be clear, this is not okay and it is not acceptable and it should not be normalized. When individuals in our society, especially and most concerning, those with lots of power, lots of money and lots of influence call for public servants to be tortured or killed, it is crossing a bright line and it must be condemned by our society. To ignore it is dangerous and a disservice to our democracy, and silence is complicity. Colleagues, I know that many of you have already drawn that line as you have turned over one graphic piece of hate mail after another to the SFPD and to the FBI that have come to many of our private residences where our families are attempting to live in peace and safety. That's not okay either. But we also know that there are extreme right-wing white supremacist groups that have employed these tactics for as long as the United States has been around and do so under a veil of anonymity that they enjoy from afar. That was not the case uh, this weekend with an individual named Gary Tan, who I want to make clear I have never met, never spoken to, had any interaction with before he called for me and two-thirds of the legislative branch of this government to be killed. This is a man who has hundreds of thousands of followers on one social media platform alone and chairs a political action committee that is dumping millions of dollars into controlling the public discourse at every level of government and civic engagement and discouraging others from participating safely in our democracy, in our democratic process. 
Calling for someone to be killed is a crime, whether you delete it after it's been circulated virtually or not. And while that crime is being investigated, I think it is time for us to send a message that we will not tolerate death threats, we will not normalize incitements to violence, and we must draw a bright, bright line. Today I'm introducing a drafting request to, at a minimum, require a campaign finance disclaimer on any piece of political mail, TV, or radio ad, or 501c3 or 501c4 mailer that is linked to a person or persons or organizations that have been found by the city to have made credible and documented threats on the safety or physical well-being of public officials or anyone exercising their First Amendment rights to participate in our democracy and engage in civic discourse that says just that. If you want to make death threats against our government, your audience should know that the mail you're sending is funded by these perpetrators. I want the city attorney to explore requiring a minimum fine of $1 per person in the offender's community who have been contacted for their first offense, $10 for every person that has been contacted for their second offense, and $100 for the third, per the third offense of violent speech. Those who cannot pay can be required to perform community service here in San Francisco. I want to be clear, this is not about progressive politics, liberal politics, moderate, centrist, or conservative politics. This is truly a nonpartisan measure that says no matter your political leanings or your political party, death threats are unacceptable. We will not normalize this. We will not allow this kind of reckless behavior that incites and encourages violence. And I feel the same way about any public official being threatened. Although the mayor has her own private security detail, that still doesn't mean it's okay to threaten her or her staff or her followers. And those of us that choose to jump into the fray of political service know that we make ourselves vulnerable to all kinds of vitriolic and toxic ne ne negativity. And while that's not okay, it sadly comes with the job and should also be condemned, as I have done to anyone who speaks ill or unprofessionally about my colleagues on all sides of the political spectrum. But no one should have to worry that they will end up in the ICU or, God forbid, dead because of the unchecked goading of one powerful individual who acts with impunity. We welcome free speech. We welcome disagreements. We welcome debate. We welcome discourse, even when it gets uncomfortable and angry. But I think it's well past time for us to draw a very bright line and make it abundantly clear there will be consequences when you cross that line before somebody gets hurt and the rest I will submit. Thank you, Mr. President. And seeing no names on the roster, that concludes the introduction of new business. Madam Clerk, let's go to general public comment. All right, at this time, please line up on your uh, right-hand side. During general public comment, you may speak to the mayoral appearance. Uh, items 48 through 51 on the adoption without reference to committee calendar. All other agenda content has been reported out by uh, an appropriate committee. And you may also speak to other matters that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the board, but are not on the agenda. We are setting the timer for two minutes. Let's welcome the first speaker to the podium. Hello. Form and contents. Uh, intelligence knows that it's being part of fantasy land or a puppet show to think that you can get away with lying forever. You can't lie. You have to pay. You were talking about paying. You have to, when are you paying me? 
for what I told you all last year. You need to pay me, eh? don't dream, nothing's free. Simply, you're gonna pay with your happiness. I'm gonna make it easy for you. All right, so no matter what, yes, uh, you have to understand being part of fantasy land is to not uh, see that a fire through which trees withstand, I mean, trees that withstand a fire while the buildings around and the vehicles are burnt is not a normal fire. You know that. Okay, now, anyway, in reality, warning, the use of any multi-app cell phone has an ha addictive effect hazardous for health and social behavior, mental, therefore, consequently, physical health. That's why I'm asking you to pass a resolution to basically order any cell phone company to put this warning on their device, at least in San Francisco, because otherwise you can't do it. That's the least you can do, because in fact, the effect of this technology and the internet is much, much worse. This includes, not exhaustively, pornography, access to pornography for kids. Do you understand the catastrophic situation you are in? So you need to put regulations on these cell phones. We don't even need the internet, in fact, as it is today. Do you understand? Because it's too corrupt and dangerous for society, your future, this of your kids. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker. Thank you, Madam Clerk. My name is Carlos. Some of you know who I am. Those of you who received today's written communication, our movement considers you, at least in part, part of the problem. Those of you who do not, pat yourselves on the back. Now, board president, uh, I, I hope- Sir, please address your comments to the whole board, not to one member. Entire board, um, I, I was very concerned to hear about what Gary Tan said. Jesus, we all knew he was fucking crazy, but it takes the cake. Um, I hope none of you are dense enough to imagine that the language around eating uh, has anything to do with more than metaphor. Uh, our movement is angry. We are impatient. Those of you who stand on excuses will be noted. We are a peaceful movement, but we are a movement that is saying enough. Enough! We all know how broken this city is. You can't pretend you don't. You can't pretend you don't. So here's the deal. Every night, we're out there doing the Lord's work. If any of you would like to join us personally, come out to Hyde, anywhere on Hyde, anywhere in the TL or Central City, really, uh, around 3.30 this morning. I'm going to leave these here for you. If you have an issue with how we communicate with any of you, or with our impatience, I'd invite you to come and do the fucking work yourself. Thank you, Carlos, for your comments. Let's hear from our next speaker. Good afternoon, board. Um, I'm Chris Ward Klein, and on my spare time, I actually do a little reading. And this is a book, Spy Fail. And in the book, it's a, it talks about San Francisco and some technology. And that technology is Radian 6. And I did some research, and the mayor's office has Radian 6. And it gives you the ability to steal passwords and pen numbers and hack onto somebody's social media to send messages. So before we overreact, 
let's the FBI do their um, homework to find out exactly who was sending those messages because I do believe it came from the city, city hall. <clears throat> Second of all, um, recently um, I was almost ran over twice and I get the same threatening speech every day. Um, and again, it comes from city hall and I think everybody in this room knows who that is. Um, drug disorders and mental health is done by cloud computing. So everyone that has a mental health problem has a cloud put on them. So what if it was a mistake? What if someone did it for politics? So shouldn't we take that cloud off that person? Because that would resolve over 70% of the issues that we have in San Francisco. Um, cheating at social leagues, softball and billiards, the same thing, Radian 6, that's R-A-D-I-A-N 6. The city and county, the mayor's office has that technology. She uses it every day to hack onto my social media and to everybody's social media on here, but it can be used to influence you. And it is a crime in the state of California to influence someone to commit a crime. So if that person did send a message, whoever influenced them through social media should also face the same um, criminal penalties. Um, the cheating at softball and billiards is not the best way for us to be spending our public health money. And there is a commissioner that works for the Department of Public Health. We need to investigate that because again, that is not the best way for us to be spending our money. Thank you, have a great day. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker, please. My name is Jim McAfee. First of all, I'd like to emphasize the point that the murderer of Moscone and Mel was not a homeless person, but a former member of the board. I appeal to the Board of Supervisors to ask the city attorney in writing if in his opinion he is knowledgeable enough to have an opinion about the survey methodology used to recertify Laguna Hana Hospital and Rehabilitation, and if so, to provide in writing his opinion to whether the methodology is flawed or not and make that opinion public. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker, please. Members of the board, my name is Sammy Rayner. I'm the Chief Impact Officer for Community Forward and co-chair of the Women's Housing Coalition. Uh, for those of you who aren't aware, January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. And just wanna express my deep gratitude to this board for the resolution on the, um, on the ballot today or on your, your vote today um, that's declaring um, gender-based housing and shelter a best practice. Um, I've seen that with my work at Community Forward and A Woman's Place. Um, and recently UCSF, um, actually this month, just released a really important study on the intersection of interpersonal violence and homelessness, um, really highlighting and lifting up that domestic violence is the leading cause of homelessness among women. And we need to address and provide solutions that create safety for women within housing. And so this resolution really is an opportunity to solidify and especially for our city departments to acknowledge that we need representation and safe spaces for women within our city's um, homeless response system and housing response system. Uh, about 6,000 women experience homelessness each year in San Francisco. Uh, and, and this study shows that 
um, 81% of them, as many as 81% of them, are choosing to sleep outside or in their cars rather than seeking our co-ed shelter spaces because they are not safe in those spaces. So this resolution, we appreciate acknowledging this. Um, the, the Prop A um, earmark for $30 million for safe housing for women. Um, we're just, we wanna applaud and say, let's keep going. Let's keep our momentum because um, the, the women of our city depend on us to see them and recognize their needs. So thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker, please. Good morning, everyone. My name is Tony Eby. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of San Francisco Safe House, a human trafficking or anti-trafficking organization here in San Francisco. Um, however, 17 years ago, I was homeless and living on the streets of San Francisco for a period of seven years. And I just want to acknowledge, as Sammy was saying, we have made a lot of progress over the last two years. We are so excited to partner with you all and to really pay attention and focus on women in, in the city and county of San Francisco. However, we have not got back to the level of services we had 17 years ago when I entered into Safe House myself. Programs that I accessed, uh, such as Smith House, Detox for Women, SAGE, Standing Against Global Exploitation, those programs no longer exist. And Safe House, despite our best efforts and our efforts to increase our capacity, and they have increased significantly, we went from serving 25 women to about 200 women a year, cannot keep up with the demand. And when we talk about accountability and our accountability to the city, our accountability to the public, our accountability to our survivors that we're serving, we are struggling with capacity both administratively uh, to provide reports, uh, uh, grant reviews. We really need a, an investment and making sure that we can meet those accountability needs and the needs of our, our clients. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next, next speaker, please. Good afternoon, all the supervisor. I am Patty Sin. I live in 117 Conwell Street. I have the problem of uh, the, the law trans, uh, passes law. I hope you all you help me to get and uh, grant me the permission to fixing my house because the trespasses law is not allowed the neighbor to crossing the borderline to fixing their building. Since I have the permission to upgrade my building in uh, 2016, up to now I cannot uh, finish it because the site you need to fix it and uh, paint it. But my uh, neighbor is so against that, and then uh, she, does, she doesn't want my uh, constructor landing on the borderline to finish my uh, building, just uh, painting and fixing my side. I don't know why she is doing that, but at my back of the yard, my neighbor, I let them to come across my backyard to finish the building. This, the next, Sorry, the next neighbor is very crazy. Since the, the renovation is happened uh, in 2016, 
he went to the DBI to complain 11 times. And each time the inspector come and check it or or finish it in the permit in the code. I don't know why he would doing like that. I hope all the supervisor help me and grant me the permission to finish my my building because I don't have money to hire another attorney. And um, it forced me to hire this attorney. And recently I found out he said he's the real estate attorney, but I don't know why. He put only Thank you for your comments. Thank you for your comments. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Would it be able to see the uh, place on down? Yes. Thank you. I'm starting your time now. Oh, yes, of course. Thank you. Um, Section 2.101 Office of Terms or Office Terms of San Francisco Law place Arcelio Joseph Rabel onto any and open positions of the San Francisco government directed to District Supervisor Hillary Ronan of District 9. Such law of section 2.101 office terms of the San Francisco law says of in which would be then to appoint. Uh, so henceforth such public comment for Arcelio Joseph Rabel, rights, privileges, and honors, Arizona State University. Thank you. Also, if I may, I, two, one minute. Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, Meg Whitman, Governor Jerry Brown, Governor Jerry Brown resignation, Lieutenant Governor Newsom, Governor Newsom, asterisk Mayor Newsom of San Francisco, impeachment election of Governor Newsom, and then 2024. I spoke with the assembly member, uh, Gail, uh, of the elections committee of the state government of uh, California, and I believe there should be a state election for the position of governor in the state of California. I'm a Sun Devil, 120-666-9889. Acknowledged by the Department of Homeland Security, FEMA. Uh, Supervisor Hillary Ronan, District 9. She has an email from arcelio.rabel at gmail.com or arabel at asu.edu. Again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Welcome to the next speaker. Can I have someone collect these? Yes, we'll come now? get that from you. Thank you, Liz. Okay, hello, my name is Leah McGeever. I live in D6. Um, I will read the poem first uh, to the Board of Supervisors. To supervisors who resent ceasefire advocates, I aimed my arrows at your heart, hoping to make it bleed for humans, for babies, infants, toddlers. Located at 31 degrees north longitude, 34 degrees east latitude, Gaza. Instead, I struck your office, your ego, located at 37 degrees north longitude, 122 degrees west latitude. What a horrible miscalculation on my part. I assumed a capacity for love and actual compassion was within striking distance. 
No, no, arrows cannot reach for that. I should have deployed white phosphorus so that the chemicals melted your flesh until it hit bone, the ossified cage of your ribs and heart. Then I should have seen your heart has ossified as well. Not a drop of blood left to bleed for the suffering mortal offsprings, the next generation, their little hearts already bleeding. Um, that was inspired by a supervisor who felt the need to walk up to me while I was waiting outside on my phone, give me a haughty hello, and wait until I acknowledge them. And I said hello back, because I am nice. Um, don't mess with me. I, I don't mess with you. I, I keep it out here. I don't, I, don't, I don't go in your offices and yell in your face, okay? You know, just come on. Um, also, um, I gave a little, you know, summary of things I had said in the past, um, just to show that I was not being hyperbolic about things getting worse for trans people, for LGBTQ people. I am very sane and very smart. I hope you can recognize now, I think you're starting to get how serious the situation is. And that's it, bye. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker, please. Hello, my name is Darren Mark Stalka, founder of the World Peace Movement. I lived in South of Market, Chinatown, Tenderloin, Sunset, a few other neighborhoods as well. Um, fifth generation San Franciscan, uncle owned, operated, built the first Mel's Diner. Grandma lived across from Golden Gate Park. I'm here today uh, to say that San Francisco is one of the most beautiful cities, if not the most beautiful city in the world, and my heart goes out to the generations of families of all colors, creeds, and religions that poured their blood, sweat, and tears to build in our community. Um, sad to see what's happening in our community. Uh, everything might be fine and dandy on top of the hill, but at the bottom of the hill, we're living in squalor. 3,000 innocent Americans of all colors, creeds, and religions have died from fentanyl in San Francisco between 2019 2023. I would say 4,000 between 2018 and 2024. Uh, we are witnessing a homeless crisis. My house burned down the ground. I know what it's like to be homeless. Um, my cousin Scotty died from fentanyl. Uh, they came and picked his body up off Turk Street. I've yet to hear, my family's yet to hear an apology from uh, supervisors or the mayor. Uh, Corrupt Democrats have enabled chaos for financial gain through corrupt nonprofits and corrupt organizations who have benefited from the suffering of the less fortunate on the streets. Fentanyl is showing up on playgrounds and in schools. Children are overdosing. Kids that think they're doing a party pill end up being the last thing they ever did. Uh, we are witnessing lawlessness on the streets. Some people have been calling me a vigilante. I'm just trying to stand up for what I believe in. Uh, as a young Republican in San Francisco, I find myself surrounded on all sides by Democrats. It's a tooth and nail uphill battle for every. Thank you for your comments. There is no electoral, there is no electioneering in this chamber, sir. Just for next time. Thank you. All right, to our next uh, speaker, please welcome. My name is Stephen Kloster. I'm a born and raised San Franciscan from the Tenderloin. I'm a former San Francisco firefighter. I'm here to address this body 
in regards to a serious matter within the San Francisco Fire Department with violence. A member of the San Francisco Fire Department has attacked another member of the department and nothing has been done about it. This individual is still working. How is that? The city attorney's office has out hired outside three outside attorneys to represent the officers who knowingly and corruptly protect this individual by not reporting this individual and the attacks uh, against the other member. The other member who was attacked was forced out of the department and yet the current chief of department has not been removed from her position as a chief of department for her involvement. That being said, I was thrown out of my job with the San Francisco Fire Department due to discrimination and harassment because I have HIV. I've come to certain individuals in this board and in this building in regards to this matter. I'm broke. I'm on the verge of losing my housing. I have an 88-year-old mom that I take care of who's paranoid schizophrenic. I've been through this for too long. I have a right, a constitutional right to my job. I was clear to go back to work full duty with no restrictions back in 2014. Why hasn't this body, why hasn't this city protected my rights in this, in this matter? I've done nothing wrong, nothing at all. Only thing I can say, I did go to jail and I was acquitted because this corrupt city do, do what they do to people in his job and in his city. I'm a born and raised kid from the Tenderloin. All I wanted to do was do my job. Thank you. Thank you, sir, for your comments. Mr. President, seeing no other uh, members of the public in the chamber. Public comment is now closed. Madam Clerk, could you please read the adoption without committee reference calendar? Yes, uh, items 48 through 51 were introduced for adoption without committee reference. A unanimous vote is required for adoption of these resolutions on first reading today. Alternatively, a member may request a resolution on first reading to go to committee. Would any member or members like any item or items severed? Supervisor Mandelman. Thank you, President Peskin. I'd like to sever or have item 48 severed. Okay, and on the balance of the calendar, um, President Peskin. I'm sorry, Supervisor Walton. I'm Thank sorry. Thank you, President Peskin. I just wanted to say I'd like to be added as a co-sponsor to 48. You are added there. Thank, Thank you. Okay. On the balance of the calendar, items 48. I'm sorry, 49, 50, and 51. Can we take those same house, same call? The resolution. Mr. President, yes. may I ask for a roll call on that? You may. Okay. Roll call. Uh, on items 49 through 51, Supervisor Preston. Preston, aye. Supervisor Ronan. Ronan, aye. Supervisor Safai. Safai, aye. Supervisor Stephanie. Aye. Stephanie, aye. Supervisor Walton. Walton, aye. Supervisor Chan. Chan, aye. Supervisor Dorsey. Dorsey, aye. Supervisor Ringardio. Ingardio, aye. Supervisor Mandelman? Aye. Mandelman, aye. Supervisor Melgar? Aye. Melgar, aye. And Supervisor Peskin? Aye. Peskin, aye. There are 11 ayes. Those resolutions are adopted and motion approved. Madam Clerk, could you please read item 48? Item 48, resolution to support the issuance of a commemorative United States post postage forever stamp in honor and in memory of Matthew Shepard. 
Supervisor Mandelman. Um, thank you, President Peskin. Uh, colleagues, you should have uh, gotten emailed copies of uh, our proposed amendments to this item, um, and I've passed around hard copies, and I want to thank each of you, I think, has signed on as a co-sponsor, even though our, um, our, our uh, document showing our proposed amendments does not indicate that, but the clerk informs me that she knows that you're all co-sponsors, so thank you. The point of the amendments um, is to give appropriate recognition to the International Imperial Court System of the United States, Canada, and Mexico for its role in initiating and advancing the campaign for the issuance of a commemorative stamp to honor Matthew Shepard's life and legacy. Um, for more than a decade, the courts have organized a series of campaigns across their 70 chapters to urge the U.S. Postal Service to issue commemorative stamps for LGBTQ leaders, including Bayard Rustin, Marsh B. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, and Jose Julio Saria. In 2014, the International Imperial Court System sponsored a successful initiative to issue a U.S. commemorative stamp for Harvey Milk, um, which was unveiled in May 2014 at the White House by former President Barack Obama. And the organization is also responsible for a successful campaign that led to the U.S. Navy's naming of the USNS Harvey Milk in 2021. I want to thank uh, former Supervisor Bevan Defty and the Matthew Shepard Stamp Campaign National Campaign Chair Queen Mother Nicole Murray Ramirez uh, for working with our office on this resolution and the amendments. And I want to thank um, uh, both Adam Tonks and Zara Haji in my office for their work on this resolution. It has taken a village, but I think it is worth it. I would like to move the amendments. You may do so. So, so moved. moved. Okay, is there a second? <laughs> second by Supervisor Stephanie. Seeing no names on the roster, colleague, can we take the amendments proposed by Supervisor Mandelman and circulated to all members of the board without objection? So that those amendments are adopted and on the resolution as amended. Madam Clerk, will you let us take that same, same house, house, same, same call? Home. Yes, Mr. President. Okay, the resolution is adopted as amended and that brings us to the conclusion of our calendar. Madam Clerk, would you please read the in memoria? Yes, on behalf, today's meeting will be adjourned in memory of the following beloved individual. On behalf of Supervisor Stephanie, for the late, Ms. Lena Farrell. That's from the entire Board of Supervisors, correct? With, when you gavel down, Mr. President. Okay. okay, excellent. The Board of Supervisors is adjourned.